0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse.
1: Today on tap, we have Inception, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Ken Watanabe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Marion Cotillard. Written and directed by Christopher Nolan. Welcome back to Rice Mile Films. It's time to wrap up this cast that I have loved spending time in, Matt. The films of Mr. Nolan, Part 1, 2, whatever we want to call it, because we got a lot more we could definitely talk about. Uh, but we're talking about from 2010, a film that made both the 1 and 2, and when we did our all-decade retrospective on our top 10 favorite films of all time, this was kind of interchangeable. It was like Whiplash and Inception at one and two on both of ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, inception from 2010. Uh, I can't wait to get into the nitty gritty with this, not only in the behind the scenes aspects of this. And I keep finding out more about uh, Mr. Soderbergh's influence on the career of Nolan. So mm. read a great article this week uh, that was talking about after Memento came out you know, the script for insomnia was floating around Warner brothers and Nolan really money. He's like, I want to, I want to try and tackle that, but they wouldn't even listen to him uh, because the creative exec over there didn't understand memento. Unbelievable. So Soderbergh went to bat for Nolan again, like he did with memento and, and just told them three simple words. Just take the meeting yeah. uh, trying to convince them. Cause you know, Soderbergh was good with Warner brothers with all the ocean stuff at that time. And out of side and Solaris. So he helped get him that meeting and look, they formed a partnership for 15 plus years, Warner's and, and Nolan. So I think those guys are pretty tight, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's good. I like, I like filmmakers going to bat for each other. Uh, especially when we talk about it's a who, you know, type of industry. And if it's a guy that can just convince you to take the meeting,
0: I mean, I think it worked well for all parties involved. This leads into the question a little bit later today, but it also came up last week with mm-hmm. Jason Clark. Mm-hmm. Of all the people in Hollywood that I think I want to be in the foxhole with right now, yeah. Nolan might be number one. Yeah, If you do right by him and I think show up and put in an honest day's work and don't act like a dick on set mm-hmm. and have some some talent, some yeah. reasonable amount of talent, it's going to find something for you. Yeah, And I get it. Mm-hmm. There's lots and lots of stories of people that are impossible to work with on set, which poses an interesting question. Yeah. And that is... You know, we've played some sound on the show about Bale Mm -hmm. being kind of a jackass on set. Yeah. Did... Oh, good for you! Yeah. (laughs) Did Nolan Rodman him insofar as what Jackson was able to do with the Bulls with Rodman? Or did he get him under control? Or did he just say, there's so much talent here, we'll let you go? My perspective of Bale has always been, that guy is an actor
1: first movie star second. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he really cares about the job and, you know, the in character work, losing weight, gaining weight. Yeah. Uh, and so when he shows up, I think he's ready to play ball. I think there's no dicking around, which was the Terminator was set was, you know, a little unprofessional. Mm -hmm. I think Nolan just gets him. I think he knows how to work with actors. And I think they just, they shared the same ideas of like, let's do Batman seriously. Let's
0: do it for real. And I don't think there was any ego on that set at all. Nolan probably puts a very professional set out there to yeah. work on. it's l- not a lot of wasting time. Exactly. And when we get
1: to our our question later of thinking of, you know, actors, you know, just kind of look at who's, who he's worked with. And it was like, I was like, well, who am I picking? Cause I was like the people I would have picked. I was like, he's already done it. He's already picked them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. McConaughey, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think those are really, uh, really great uh, conversations and, the opposite of Kubrick, right? Which I I equated him to in the Memento episode, which was Kubrick's a filmmaking, you know, maestro, genius, perfectionist, but just like abuses the hell out of his actors, right? You know, <laughs> berating Shelley Duvall to the point she's losing hair and doing 130 takes of scenes. Like I don't think you
0: get that with Nolan. I mean, he's just he's just really to the point, and I I can appreciate that. Well, yeah. This is what we're going to go for. If you can deliver, mm-hmm. I'm going to have you on set. If you can't, I'll find someone else who will. Yeah, That's and, the way it should be.
1: And speaking of directors, uh, we got to do this because we lost a great one earlier mm-hmm. this week. We got to raise one up for Mr. William Friedkin, uh, which, yeah, let me take a drink first. 87. Mm-hmm. It's a nice long life. Mm-hmm pretty great career and it made me think of our one of my all-time favorite casks that we've ever done on this show was the freaking cask of french connection exorcist and sorcerer Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah if you want to go back and listen to either of those episodes i think you'll get a really great breakdown on what made those three films amazing from the direction to the time period uh, the sound bites on Friedkin in those episodes are awesome. He's just so just to the point and brash. Yeah, Frank. But uh, yeah, I, I tried to think back to our podcast, and I'd have to go back and listen in detail to those episodes. But I don't know if we've ever had a cask where we did three top shelf ratings collectively in a row. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Other than yeah, maybe uh, possibly <laughs> today's cask, right? But rare company. It was rare company, right? It was just. That three-film run from Friedkin is pretty all-time, right? That is pretty all-time. Well, to him. To him. Excellent. Let's go ahead and get this going with our flight question. Alrighty, so the great thing about, and one of the many great things about this film that we'll get into is uh, the story, the screenplay. Hey, we've never talked about those things on this show before, but this screenplay is a little more unique than Oppenheimer and some of the other ones, right, in that it is, you know, written in speculation. We've done it before, but I think it's time for a review. Do you want to share with the audience what that even means?
0: So... It's not adapted from a previously created source material. Mm-hmm. So in speculation would be, I have this idea. I'm not going to put it in novel or graphic novel form. I'm going to write the original story of this in the screenplay version. Mm-hmm. So it can't be, can't be based on an existing IP.
1: Can't be based on a book or a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a remake, sequel, or video game. Or Uh, or based on a real life event yeah yeah so
0: completely new
1: yeah crafted within the pages of the screenplay so being that this is you know one of the you know better ones we've had in the 21st century my question from the annals of film uh your top three personal favorite spec screenplays of all time
0: this is a hard question because every list that i got on Mm -hmm. there were 15 more that i would consider well anytime I thought I was like just think of the
1: films that are just immediately uh, void of the list is like no godfather no psycho no vertigo mm-hmm. uh no uh uh call no exorcist uh mm-hmm. based on a book so many you know fantastic stories that you know come uh uh call from early 40s uh oh it'll, it'll come back to me but yeah once you start uh, apocalypse now all these things that are coming from other types of material, whether loosely adapted or inspired by.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The challenge on this, right, is good writers don't tend to move into the screenwriting space. People that like to write like to write Mm -hmm. and a novel or graphic novel gives you a different set of rules that a screenplay doesn't. So I don't think a lot, well, I shouldn't say a lot, there's a lot of good ideas that don't make it to the pages of the screenplay first. They make it to short novel or part of something else. And then maybe you're adapted. So you're sort of hamstring, but when you look at the list, when they hit gold and the story works, then they work. And yeah, this is hard to come up with. So we'll go three, three, two, two, one, one. Yeah. At three for me, I don't know how this can't be on there and it could easily be number one Mm -hmm. star Wars. Yeah. Um, you asked me again tomorrow and this might be number one. Mm -hmm. The totality of film's long, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of material to pull from here. So, Star Wars, yeah. I mean, what else? I'm not going to get into why. It's it's Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> New Hope, right? Sure. Not Phantom Menace. Right. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. No, yeah, it's, yeah, amazing. Just
1: and the fact that that all worked, right, mm-hmm. is the even bigger miracle at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I read to you a couple of weeks back the original scrawl of what it was like, dude, who even knew what the hell that was? Yeah. And good thing he went back a few times to refine that. Mm-hmm. Number three for me, a director we've never talked about on this podcast before, Mr. M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, Number three is The Sixth Sense. How could it not be? Yeah, kind of reinvented, you know how we what we thought of ghost films, right? And then the twist. It it became about you know the next great twist, and for him after that. But I think that story and that screenplay is so organic in the best possible ways from character, uh, suspense, and then. Culminating in one of the greatest climaxes we've seen in the last 30, 40, 50 years, right? Mm, yeah. that's a, I think he, maybe you maybe might show up on, on your list too, but uh, I got to go six cents for my number three.
0: Great pick. Mm-hmm. That was in consideration to make the list, but that was certainly one of them. One of the key elements in the spec idea is the concept needs to be high concept. Yeah. So there's some general rules that go around that. And that's one pitch, you can see the whole movie. It appeals to a wide audience, and it's unique. Add to that, oftentimes, it's under one million in one location, which makes it almost impossible. Yeah,
1: that's, that's the miracle.
0: But we'll boot that. Yeah. This one, I think, is post-1980, the screenplay that most default to when you're studying beats. It's really a, a staple in how-to. It's Ghostbusters. That's sold on on name alone. Mm-hmm. What's this movie about? It's about a group of guys that open a business catching ghosts. are terminators for ghosts <laughs> yeah. or ex- um Exterminators. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Exterminators for ghosts. Mm-hmm. Sold. Yeah. Sold. Yeah. Uh questions about that go back and listen to like episode 13 15 somewhere on there cuz I yeah. think that's about where we did it. Mm-hmm. My number 2 as well. Oh
1: shit. I think it's uh my number 1 I think is Adjust number one, but I think I still Ghostbusters might be one of the finest screenplays ever assembled. And when you really break down how that story is structured, mm-hmm. so efficient and how everything is introduced, the world, the inciting incident, the, the, the challenge, the antagonistical challenge at the end of the day and Gozer and all of that, everything just falls right into place. And it's almost impossible to find, you know, Citizen Kane gets taught in the schools, right? Mm-hmm. Fine film, uh, fine screenplay. But, man, Ghostbusters is more entertaining, and I think everything is just way more upfront. front. Uh, and you're, like, you're right, the high-conceptness uh, of the idea, ghost exterminators for hire. Oh, man, what could that look like? Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: I can't believe of all these films we have the same number two. Before we do these, we're going to have to get back to the days of saying what each other were, because we could put an honorable mention in there and oh, expand it. I, I have a few, and we can talk about those honorable mentions, but... One in one, yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Whiplash, number one today again covered on the show uh although i would say this it's against the rules to use the movie that we would do today yeah this would make my list yeah this is on there but against the rules so i'm going with whiplash great choice also previously covered yeah not going to spend too much time talking about it because we've go. already talked about that to death
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, i mean you could talk about it some more i never get tired of that mm-hmm. uh my number one obvious pick coming from mr jesse here alien uh uh, Ron said and Dan O'Bannon, uh, Jaws in space, right? Mm-hmm. Let's do Jaws in space. Let's do Texas chainsaw in space. Oh, we got this alien. How do we get it on board? Oh, it's going to fuck one of the people. it's going to have this gestating life cycle and the world they build in the world of alien from the truckers in space, the blue collar workers, how they wrote the characters as unisex and just go cast the best person. I think is genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think nearly impossible to write that way. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what could we not say about Alien that we haven't already said? I mean, everything that happens in that story is pretty phenomenal and I think it's all rooted in the in the in those pages. Yeah. Ridley Scott and Crew and the G- Giger, they they all came and made that world amazing, but it started with O'Bannon and Chu set really fleshing out a unique alien horror film.
0: Yeah. Two honorable mentions for me then I'll give it back to you. Okay. Raiders of the Lost Ark mm-hmm. and There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. Again, no shortage of really superiorly written films that were original. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've covered, we haven't done There We Blood? Yeah. Yeah, we've done both those on the show. Yeah. Uh, going back to The Well, I guess, because mm-hmm. those are terrific movies.
1: I'm surprised, and maybe you're just, you were thinking just a different path this way, but I'm surprised Unbreakable uh, wasn't really floating on your list, or
0: Seven. Both of them were, mm-hmm. and as you know that I love Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Today, right now, I don't know if I can tell you that I love Seven or Unbreakable more than any of the films I just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Which would put them still probably squarely in the top 10. Yeah. Maybe it's seven and eight. Ha ha. But. It's a good list. Yeah. It's a tough list. Tomorrow it changes. I'm Absolutely. Dying to let's hear your honorable mention. Yeah, a
1: couple of Back to
0: the Future. Absolutely. Uh just the eighties was just the playing
1: ground of like this type of like high concept speculation. Like, let's just go and do it. ET. I mean, boy befriends an alien. Like, Oh, we've never seen anything like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, uh, another one, toy story, Mm -hmm. I think is a phenomenal original idea. And you know, that's animation. That's going to allow itself a whole different realm of creativity, but it's a story about toys that come to life when the, adults or kids aren't around and it's it's a buddy it's a buddy film right yes yeah about you know su- just surviving a trauma together being over in the
0: psychos house next door and mm-hmm. these guys that hate each other are gonna bond so I have a question for you yeah did anything Cohen related come into your thought process here not really because I kicked the tires on blood simple for a little while and then I said no I don't think mm-hmm. I can do that either
1: Mm-mm. Uh, yeah me either what was the other one Oh, uh, it's Toy Story, and then uh, come on, eighties. Yeah, you know, I couldn't pick Blade Runner based on a book. Yeah. Uh, uh nothing by Stephen King. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, nothing by King. Yeah, those were off the table. I couldn't really think. You know, the thing. Unless
0: you're going to pick Silver Bullet. Yeah,
1: you know, Halloween. You know, you know, could be in consideration, but. You know, a pretty simple movie at the end of the day. I wanted something a little more complex. I can't pick the thing based nope. on a book, and it's a remake of <laughs> the thing already. So, uh, no, I, th- I thought it was it was a great route. I, oh, of course, I kicked the tires on Raiders. How could I not? Sure. You know, Rocky, uh, yeah. maybe, but kind of based on other existing boxers, mm-hmm. right? And it's maybe almost like a, based on a true story type thing. Like, that one's kind of towing a few few other lines there. Good but, list. Yeah, great list. Uh, A lot of fantastic screenplays in there, great stories. Uh, Let's talk about another one today. So Mm. a ton to dive into, a ton to talk about. Let's get into the nitty-gritty with our review breakdown of Inception. There's
2: one thing you should know about me. I specialize in a very specific type of security,
0: subconscious security, you're talking about dreams. Mr. Cobb has a job offer he would like to discuss with you.
2: We've got a work placement.
0: Not exactly. We create the world of the dream. We bring the
1: subject into that dream. And they fill it with their secrets.
2: Then you break in and steal it.
1: Well, it's not, strictly speaking, legal. It's called Inception. i I think this is one of the greatest trailers of all time, primarily because it misleads a little bit and it informs the audience what this movie is going to be about, but also not at the same time. Like when he's talking there about uh, we bring the subject into that dream and then we steal their secrets. And, and he says, it's called inception. Actually, it's not called inception. That's called extraction. Right. Inceptions of the idea that gets presented in our open, uh, inciting incident. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the trailer's job in this uh, particular example is just to show the world of possibilities of what this could look like. I specialize in a very specific type of security, subconscious security. We build dreams and bring people into them. We steal things. It's called Inception. Uh, You're creating all these different possibilities. And when you mention the world dreams, you know, think of the possibilities. Uh, The other reason I like that trailer is I don't think it really gives away the the entire story, like a lot of trailers tend to do today. Mm -hmm. That uh, trailer, when we went to see... uh, Oppenheimer for Gran Turismo, which I'm curious about, but I, I can wait, right? Yeah. I don't need to rush out to see that. That trailer showed me everything the whole, that, movie. The whole movie, all the conflict, all the, the trials and tribulation. I essentially know everything that's going to happen there. Yeah, you do. Here, I'm more confused, if anything, but I think I'm intrigued. And I think if you're building in, uh, intrigue, success. And then I can go let the rest of the film happen when I'm there. hmm. What do you think about that? You think you think we're showing too much in today's trailers? Oh my gosh, yes. I and I've been wanting to ask you too. We didn't get time to chat about it. What do you think of that film if it comes out in September or not? Uh with John David Washington where he's got to go uh it, it's almost like Let's rescue the AI girl. Well, it's like it's like the Mandalorian but like if mm. the Mando had to go extract Skynet. I'm kind of curious about that, but oh, I hadn't even heard anything about that movie, and the the trailer itself is intriguing, but
0: also in kind of an ininformative way as well. It's interesting you bring that up. The more I see that trailer, Mm -hmm. the less interested I become. Mm. Uh, I know how that one plays out too already. Yeah, the trailer is a tricky art, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, You almost don't really want the trailer, in my opinion, to give nothing more away than maybe the midpoint in the film. Gran Turismo is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. I don't really know if people are super familiar with that story and who could probably walk in and be rather surprised with how the story unfolded. What they show you on there is, okay, he wins the game. He becomes the top gun of the Gran Turismo class. He starts training. He starts training. He sucks. He wrecks his car. He wins. (laughs) He gets the final showdown on a track that he's raced in the video game 50 times. And then we win and head off into the sunset. Like, maybe we don't need to see it. (laughs) No, that's the movie. And it's a pretty simple concept, I guess. Um yeah the trailer thing man well we've talked about that not this direct way mm-hmm. but how I'm not going to watch any more trailers we did that with Doctor Strange Yeah because I don't want to see the whole film and they just keep doing it
1: Yeah and they make why? them
0: they make them exciting
1: they put fun music in them that gets me all jazzed and makes gives me goosebumps but I think you could take a a trick out of this book, which is essentially jumbling up the information, presenting the world and getting people hyped to see your concept Mm -hmm. versus telling them the whole story. Uh, And that's got to come from Nolan, right? Like I'm not going to spoil my entire movie before you come see it, right? You got to come experience it in the theaters. So going into the, see this movie for the first time in 2010, uh, in July of 2010, I kind of knew what I was in for. I knew who the director was. He had made dark Knight. Uh, I knew it was about dreams and dream thievery. But other than that, I was like, come what come what may be, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time you saw this? In theaters, I would imagine, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Summer of 2010? 2010, yeah, July 2010. July release, yeah. Uh, I remember walking out. This movie is one that's gotten better with me the more I've seen it. Mm-hmm. It's a very dense film. Mm-hmm. But I remember walking out, and I just sort of felt uh, an air of puzzlement around my my movie patrons that night. Yeah. Nobody had anything bad to say. And I think there were some people that were fired up just because of the action bit, the last third of the film. Mm -hmm. But I don't think anybody in that film really got it. And then I got home and I read a few reviews and the couple of reviews that I read hammered this movie. Yeah. Piece of crap. Boy, were they dead wrong. They just didn't get it. I believe Roger Ebert was still alive at that time. Yeah. And I think his was particularly bad or Mm. harsh on this film. Uh, he was wrong. Yeah. He just didn't get it. No. And I, you I couldn't on one viewing.
1: Yeah. Okay, I think it warrants multiple viewings. Cause I, I went for time two with my parents and that was an adventure because they were like very confused the whole time. And I tried to, without disrupting the people around me, try and like keep them up to, up to speed. Right. Uh, and then I went a third time with, uh with a buddy who was visiting in town I was like, have you seen Inception? He's like, no. I was like, oh, let me take you to go see it. And I'll never forget this. This is like, never happened in a movie, like, ever. Other than, like, you turning to me and going, like, this is kind of brilliant only for the movie to, to like, die in the next five minutes. The very <laughs> next scene. But he turned to me. It was about halfway through. I think it was right before the rotating hallway bit. And he just turned to me. He was like, Jesse, this movie's fucking amazing. And I was just like, he got it. He, like, just the, everything they were doing, all the high ideas that they were doing were playing with him. And he was just like, I can't wait to see where this keeps going. Oh, we keep going in another dream. Oh man. Amazing. So buckle me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought it was really just really genuine film experience. And you're right. This one gets way better with each viewing. Mm-hmm. And I pick up on things all the time. Like one just observation I've had is uh, Leo's character, Cobb, Dom Cobb in the dream sequences. He's wearing his wedding ring. And every scene in reality, it's gone. Mm-hmm. So kind of how he paints his dreams is I'm still a married man. I still love my wife. but and So I think that's a clue to pick up on all the ins and outs of it. But hey, man, if you look for that ring in the final scene to kind of know, it is very meticulously hidden, I think, on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So it's hard to, and we'll get there, but just those little details, right? in Oppenheimer missing the, the 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 Argento killer in the bathroom right yeah just all the things that you make cuz you're just so just overwhelmed with the sensory experience of it all and i welcome that i i i don't think a lot of films can exist on just one viewing uh, sometimes you know we see something and we're like oh i'm good right like sure Dial of destiny like i think i'm okay or some of these just more mediocre films we 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 tend to be checking out but other things, it's hard to give a full-on assessment
0: on, off of one viewing, right? Especially with his stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a couple. Okay. I think Insomnia probably could get away with one viewing. And I'm convinced, and we the,
1: the, the whole tenant thing, right? Oh. We're, we're doing that at home in the middle of the pandemic. I think if we got to see that in the theater with the crowd on a large screen like we did with Oppenheimer, I think that film might play a lot better for us as well. Uh, and kind of just a different,
0: like, theatrical space. Mm-hmm. Like, we could only do it so good on the on the TV, right? So. Yeah, that's one that needs, sub, like, several more viewings. We even built a flowchart and did the whole night on this. I yeah. think we made some headway on that mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. The, I guess the question with Nolan is this. Do you want to go to a movie or do you want to go to a film? And if the answer is I just want to go see a movie, and that's perfectly fine, obviously, he may not be the first choice, If you want to go see a film, and by that I mean something that is um, complex Mm -hmm. and nuanced, filled with subtext that matters, and a bit of a think piece, or maybe not a bit, quite a think piece, it's a different viewing experience. Here's what's crazy about Inception. Mm -hmm. As much as I might make the case for those two viewing possibilities, I think this might fit into both to some degree. There's enough action in the last third of this film to where I think your popcorn sated, big glossy shoot 'em up is met. There's a pretty great car chase in this. There's mm-hmm. a really great snow fight in this. Yeah. Be, uh, it kind of becomes a Bond movie towards the end. Well said. Mm-hmm. The Joseph Gordon Levitt in the elevator and the hotel room, all, like all of that really works. I think he's finding a way to tap
1: into that other audience, right? Mm-hmm. With the spectacle of it all. Uh, And I think he showed that with Dark Knight, which was, I can make an epic superhero film. And I'll get the Batman people to come in because they know Batman, they know Mm -hmm. the Joker. But at the same time, I'm going to do my Nolan thing on the side here Mm -hmm. and have a deeper rooted commentary on other ideas and concepts and duality and surveillance and all of that. And I think that was like the first test, right, of how much of that other
0: audience can I get in? And then this, I think, takes it even further, right? I love that you brought in the other audience mm-hmm. as a summer release. It's got to be a tentpole film. And that mm-hmm. means it's got to meet all four quadrants. Yeah, This movie does that at its core. This movie is a reverse heist movie, mm-hmm. but still a heist movie. So, but instead of stealing it's it's implanting, but it's still a break in and heist in order to do so. But along the way, there's a couple moments of comedy that lighten it up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And There's a very noticeable and genuinely troubling and complex romance in this film. Yeah. And I think on those three levels... Oh, this is a romance ripped out of a Billy Wilder movie. Yeah, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. It really works Mm -hmm. organically. Yeah. This is Nolan's strength. And again, we talked about it last week, and it's where his his teeth were cut in the film industry, and that's literature. Mm Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan, more so than anybody working today, and this might be a hot take, and maybe more so than anybody ever, understands how to manipulate story in a way that gets the most enjoyment from the audience. And in order to do that, I respect this tremendously about him, Mm -hmm. you have to know how your characters will play in any scenario over and over and over, and I mean all of them. Yeah. So like the the little rudimentary process that we go through, the casting couch as we call it, as we build characters and design traits. Yeah, wants and needs. It's arduous and Mm -hmm. it can be painful and that sometimes takes half as long as coming up with the script. Yeah, But you have to do it, otherwise you have hollow, stupid characters. Mm -hmm. Christopher Nolan to me seems to take that, that labor and... Excel in it because he really, really enjoys it. And you can tell even his villains mm-hmm. are really likable characters. Even his secondary villains, yeah. Stephen Crane in the Batman series, mm-hmm. or Jonathan Crane yeah. in the Batman series. Mm-hmm. Killian Murphy. Yeah. Barely after the first film is present, but has a big role mm-hmm. in there nonetheless. Yeah. And it's interesting as this executioner judge. Yeah. He,
1: and I think he can do it a couple different ways too. Uh This whole Nolan rewatch that I've been doing, you know, in preparation for Oppenheimer, now we've done it, you know, Dunkirk is such an interesting little experiment, too, because I think plot wise and character wise, that is a very simple story. And simple characters, like you don't know a lot about their wants and needs other than to get the fuck out of this beach, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very, you know, you almost want to border on one to two-dimensional characters in that film. But that movie is so exciting in the way war is presented with no blood at all. I don't think I've ever seen that in a war movie. Mm -hmm. And then you have Oppenheimer, which has rich characters with complexities that's a fairly... Actionless film that's people talking at commission meetings, and we have one big spectacle piece in the middle, which is the dropping of the the Trinity test. So he can do it either way, right? I can blow it up with this. Uh, I I can find different ways to tap into the emotionality of what it is to watch these movies. Uh, But Inception might be the grandest experiment of that all, which has the best of of both worlds, right? Yes. This grand idea. So let's get going here, okay? (laughs) So let's talk about the first scene of the movie. Bottle of Hirsch is killed. <laughs> Good. And we got we got a couple other uh, others over here. We'll see see where see where this goes. But opening scene, do something I really like. Uh let's 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 start right at the kind of the end of the film. But we don't know we're at the end of the film yet. We're just with Leo on a beach as he goes and talks to this aged Ken Wantanabe, uh, talking about half remembered dreams and promises kept. And then we kind of smash back to the present, I would imagine, is how you would write that. Uh And it's this kind of pitch meeting, which the coolest thing I've ever heard about this film is Nolan's kind of said that the characters in this and the nature of the story is almost like a filmmaking team. Like Mm -hmm. Cobb is the director. Arthur is like the the cinematographer Ariadne's the production designer Killian Murphy's the the talent He's the or no Eames is the actor mm-hmm. uh, and he, this is the pitch meeting right mm-hmm. this is let us show you what we're capable of doing and if you hire us then you can you can pay us to do do whatever so it's like a test right. And it goes very poorly for them. Uh, Cost Lucas House his life. Oh, gosh, Lucas. Yeah, what happens to that guy, right? He gets pitched (laughs) off that building, doesn't he? I don't know what happens. Because, you know, Sato has a line of like, what are you going to do with him? He's like, nothing. But I can't speak for COBOL engineering. They're killing that guy, right? Yeah. Uh, But I think this is a great showpiece to show the nature of the story. So you're getting in late. You're learning all these concepts. What's Maul doing here? The nature and gravity of the dream being affected by the action, a layer above, right? The vibrations, the mm-hmm. stuff shaking. Uh, and then just to show off the spectacle of what this film's gonna look like.
0: Uh what do you think of this? This is the opening scene of our film here. I, I have a lot, but let's do this right now. Let's call this going back to Endgame game a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's call this right now, this reality that you and I are in, present, awake state, let's call this A, okay. just for discussion through the the, the, the show today. Okay. You are tackling what mostly in Hollywood is a no-no, and you can't make a movie and finish it with it. It was all a dream. Yeah. And I love that Christopher Nolan middle-fingered that mm-hmm. and said, want to bet? What if it's really all a dream. And not only am I going to double down it, I'm going to triple down it. I'm going to quadruple down it. I'm going to go five times deep in it. And every single one of those layers is going to be better than the one above it. So what is ever happening in A is important in so the effects that occur have large geographic or seismic roles in B. Mm, Seismic is the word, yeah. What's troubling though, most of the action in A is from the supporting cast because the main people in A in order to get to B are asleep. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't take a leak before you fell asleep, then it's raining in B. Yeah. What happens if you have gas? Yeah. Earthquakes. Yeah. I don't know. Tornadoes. Oh
1: my God! dream two and three is just just shatter quake,
0: right? So, in his own very ingenious way, he's butterfly affecting this, but not in what you do here is going to affect these events down the road. But what's happening here creates a landscape or a geography in B, yeah. and then has a triple ripple ripple down effect into C mm-hmm. and D, and Whew. keeping that straight, yeah, just. From his point of view, just keeping that straight and knowing how what happens in A is going to affect B and C and D is a monumental endeavor, not to mention all of the stories that are simultaneously existing mm-hmm. in each subsequent lower level. Yeah, the inner cutting of it all. Um, I think you asked me, what do I think of that? I love that it helps the viewer recognize how important what is happening in a is Mm -hmm. because that's where our, our reality exists. Mm -hmm. No totems needed. We are really doing this right now. Yeah. But you also then are reminded that even though you don't think anything that's happening up there, maybe that's good because if those people were moving up there, what would that look look on BC and D? I mean, if one guy didn't go to the bathroom and it's monsoon-like rains because of it. And those guys are asleep. That's so... It's just awesome. I what happens yeah. <laughs> if you're in the middle of some even B-level conflict in, in reality A? Yeah, I think Yusef's peeing his pants in, in A, right? Yes.
1: On the plane. And I think the best scene to showcase the potential of what that looks like is when Yusef's driving the van. Mm-hmm. And then oh, yeah. takes it over the bridge and that affects gravity on B and then it's an avalanche on C, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it just keeps going down and down. And I really like the visual of when they have to defibrillate uh, uh, Killian Murphy, that that type of action creates like a thunderstorm on four. So It's those things, right? It's the infinite possibilities of visually what this
0: could look like and story-wise what we can do to make all that work. To take all that, too, and then make it a team concept, and we like our team concepts. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. But then as you use a team concept and you fall, like, in this, in this team, player one <laughs> falls asleep on level A. Yeah. And player two falls asleep on level B. And player three falls asleep on level C. Player D falls asleep on level four. And by the time we're done, Dom falls asleep for level five to get us to limbo.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Holy smokes. Yeah. So now what you're doing is each one of these sleeping people is taking an active role in what the architects design for the playing field's going to look like. And
1: Jesse, yeah. how do you keep that straight? I don't. And on top of that, he's also playing with time, right? Because oh, yeah. time at A is moving uh, uh, faster than B and C and D, et cetera, right? I mean, limbo is like 40 plus years of hell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that all has to intermingle and connect.
0: Who mm-hmm. man. Yeah, that's that's an endeavor, but that's control of your concept. Mm-hmm. Most people don't I'd like to think of myself I, I like to fancy myself as someone who really loves and understands story mm-hmm. and and spends time working to understand it. Yeah. Christopher Nolan, I, I can't fathom mm-hmm. how intelligent that man is to delve deep into what the ramifications of these players in this story would be. And you don't even need to worry about it. People that I'm pitching this to because I've already got it figured out because I know these characters that well. Yeah. How many teams, Jesse, have you and I seen that have been created in various films where you have one key player and the rest of them are just sort of like side people. The suicide squad is a great example. Yeah. It's Harley and everybody else who just sort of fodder. Yeah. Every one of the people on Dom's team. Yeah, they have a purpose. Huge purpose. Mm-hmm. I, 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 To him and to that mastery and control over concept, I, kudos to you, brother. Well, I think I told you when Oppenheimer ended, I was like, can you imagine having to write
1: all of that
2: dialogue
1: that oh, we God, just no. heard? No. It would make my head spin. And to make it uh, exciting and uh, like volleyballing back and forth and we're creating our suspense through words versus the action on the page uh, it's just those are those are those are hard gigs, right? And the cool thing about how you you picked it is, he's like it, for Inception is he knows he already has the brain trust of Warner Brothers to like deliver this idea, and was like you might not understand it and it might be too out there for you, but I know this thing, and they just say go do it. Right? Mm-hmm. Here's one hundred and sixty, have at it. That's power, man. That's just you know you've made it when you could just like deliver that, and I think he's the only one that has it because even today. We're not given that type of... I unlo- mean, Chazelle? Maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I think Babylon really, S- really did hurt, him in. Hurt, hurt a lot of that. Soderbergh came back? But Soderbergh's never done it at this big of a level before. traffic sorta. And Denis Villeneuve, I would say, is is yeah. pretty close. But, you know, Dune's based on a novel that's been beloved for 50-plus years, and... Uh, no one's doing it
0: with these off-the-beaten-path interesting subjects, and I think this is the best example of that. Okay, which gets to a perfect lead-in for this hot take that I've been dying to give you all week. Okay. Let me give you the argument, or the, the support first, and I'll give you the argument. Okay. If you take the team concept that we just spoke about and can come to appreciate how skilled the man is in making all of those people matter in different realities, mm-hmm. and like the control that he shows... Yeah let's take another team concept with a clear star player and show that as much as it's important to have interesting side pieces, I can also do a team concept that's led by a titular hero and you won't need to worry about it. And it's Oppenheimer. Now he has a support crew around him, Mm -hmm. but if you remove Kitty and you remove the scientists, that movie would not be as good, but he could still carry it because he's also really good. Yeah at building a singular character when necessary Mm -hmm. to levels that can carry non-action, we're talking verbal dialogue and Oppenheimer, on the screen alone with nothing more than, look man, you gotta feel this, Yeah, because the weight of mankind is-
1: On your shoulders. On
0: your shoulders, Mm -hmm. and when you push that button, I need to feel Mm -hmm. the distress through every fucking bone Mm -hmm. in your body. Can you do that, Killian Murphy? I know you're not Daniel Day-Lewis. He's retired. Can you do it?
1: Yeah, he can. He because did, he, he's
0: under such direction. And he let and helped Kill he, um, Nolan mm-hmm. helped Killian Murphy understand that character. And he maybe Killian Murphy read the book. That's not gonna be enough. Yeah. So what I'm saying is you have two completely different models with the same general idea. That's team concept. The team at the team at, at the Trinity side or Los Alamos mm-hmm. and doms team inception team and they both work masterfully well in two totally different spaces here's my hot take yeah he's the best director working in hollywood in the last 20 years because we can argue since Ott till now it's been mostly garbage yeah he's the best i might go 30 i might go really you might go back to nineteen
1: ninety. yeah till yeah like when i was born right uh because think of who
0: else was playing. Paul play. Verhoeven is really upset at you right now. <laughs> sure he is. But,
1: you know, you got Tarantino in there, and okay. that's
0: a different type of filmmaker, right? He smokes Tarantino, man. Yeah.
1: Uh, Cameron, you know, I think he's he's kind of trumping what, what, what Cameron's really doing, too, uh, as much as he's kind of tapped into zeitgeisty films as well. Oh, I'm with you, Matt. You're not going to get no argument from me. I've been preaching this since 2008 when I've been, seen the traits of this, this particular filmmaker. Well, you just jumped into it. You just did a full
0: rewatch of his his filmography, didn't you? Yeah, it's remarkable.
1: It's how he's done it so many different ways, Uh, independently with the big spectacle superhero trilogy. This film, uh, high science, science fiction with Interstellar, war pieces. Uh, He's done it several different ways. And let's talk about this too, is, you know, on the podcast, part of the fun of, I think, the research is, let's see if I can find the dirt on this production, like... Think of something like you know, apocalypse now, or like or like all the drama with some of these Popeye. some of these films, right? Yeah. yeah, where they're they're drunk or they're behind, they're going over budget. Behind someone schedule. died, someone <laughs> something, someone died. Yeah, uh, tragedy, Yeah, Twilight Zone, the movie, right? right. You know, we have all this chaos on our sets, and with Nolan's films, I have never heard the film ever going over budget, being done when it's supposed to be done. No onset drama.
0: It's just a well-oiled, we're here to make a movie, people. Which speaks to maybe the man's a tyrant, Mm -hmm. except everybody that works with him can't wait to get back in the saddle with him and go again. So he's not a tyrant. What Mm -hmm. personality trait, what directorial skill, and I don't mean story-wise, I mean social Mm -hmm. relationship-wise, what has that man mastered? Yeah. And why isn't he running for some political office that matters? <laughs> yeah,
1: just, I was just gonna say, I was like, his leadership skills are fantastic, second to none. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> I always. Every time we talk about this, I think back to Lily Tomlin. Yeah. And Paul David, Thomas Anderson. No, David O. Russell. David O. Russell. Oh Jesus! Christ. Right. Yeah. You have to play that sound again sometime. But. Yeah.
1: yeah. None of that's really happening. here. I bet
0: Paul Thomas Anderson's impossible to work with too, by the way. But yeah, you meant David yeah o.
1: perfection. Yeah, he him and uh, Burt Reynolds clashed mightily on Boogie Nights, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, it's a prick, but yeah,
1: exactly. So, Turd Ferguson. No, I'm with you there. Yeah, just yeah, the the sheer professionalism of just getting the job done. I yeah, you, you got to respect that, especially when you hear all these stories of just just the chaos on film sets. And I, I've never heard that with with one of his other than like COVID getting in the way, stopping the release of this
0: movie. Right. As much as it did, though, mm-hmm. think about that. Okay, this is another case for the greatness of that man.
1: Yeah,
0: COVID didn't stop Tenant. Yeah. Still came out. Still came out. Mm-hmm. He did, still uh, held to the expectation that he set yeah. and met. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the common old phrase is um, under promise and over deliver. Yeah. I don't know if that's even applicable to him because I think he promises, not under, he's going to like, I'm giving you something awesome. And then the awesome is far more awesome than you thought it was. Yeah. It's spectacular. And when we talk the about spectacular, it, better than awesome. Yeah. Okay. We need to, t- we'll talk about the Mountain
1: Rushmore of filmmakers towards the end of this episode. But <laughs> our big knock against someone we really appreciate and admire is Alfred Hitchcock for his just advancement of the medium and story and suspense and whatnot. But what's the one thing with Hitchcock that we just always lament of just being like, God. Not as good as it could have been. Endings. The end of the movie. Dude, Nolan knocks the endings of his film out of the park every time. Mm -hmm. This film is no exception. Mm -hmm. And that ending of Oppenheimer just leaves you just like, oh, my God, I guess I'll go exist as a human now, right? (laughs) And just pontificate on the possibility of a what-if scenario. But that goes to Knight, to Dunkirk, to all these other films. Even Memento ending in the middle of the film, right? Uh, the guy knows how to leave you on a high note uh,
0: and thinking about the concept. So let me get us back to story for a minute. So some things happen and essentially we get the premise that is Dom and his team are hired to get Killian Murphy Fisher to dissolve the family business so that this energy conglomerate won't turn into this cartel That would be essentially bad for all of mankind. So where we have a team that is really good at stealing pieces of information from people's subconscious or dream states, we're going to do the opposite now. And it does make sense if you could steal it. Why couldn't you implant an idea in there to get it to grow to fruition in real world time? In in A, that would change what seems to be a disastrous outcome down the road. Yeah. The hook on this is, which Dom, we don't quite understand this right away, but Dom has basically extradited himself from the United States because he is wanted for the murder of his wife. And what Ken Watanabe Saito promises him is, I have enough power to make a few calls to where I can get those charges dropped and I can get you back in the world with your kids. Yeah. So then the question comes up, Mm -hmm. what happens if I say, no, I keep living this life as this guy on the run, and maybe I keep doing that, although I don't see my kids. he
1: tells him a fantastic line. He says, are you going to be an old man filled with regret? Mm -hmm. Always thinking about, well, what if I took that job, and he really could deliver on his promise?
0: Which plays out later when they visit each other at the table in limbo. Mm -hmm. So Dom takes his team, but he has a huge piece that he has to fill, and that's the Lucas Haas role of architect, enter Ellen Page. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Ariadne. Uh, yep, exactly, yeah. Elliot Page now, mm-hmm. uh, uh, as as is, but I think the Ariadne character is hugely important in this film, and I don't know if you know a lot about Ariadne uh, just from Greek mythology. Is it Theseus or is it Hercules? But It's the Golden Fleece and uh, the travels through the min- uh, the labyrinth to fight the Minotaur. Hercules. Yeah.
0: Uh, Ariadne, oh, no, no, sorry, 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 my bad. Theseus. Theseus, Theseus and the Minotaur, yeah.
1: And uh, Ariadne's a character in there and mm-hmm. gives him some twine or some string to be able to traverse the maze. That way, when he slays the beast, he'll know how to get his way out, right? Maze
0: master. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same role in this team.
1: Yeah, maze master, maze creation, maze navigator.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, this is the cool piece, and I like how it's equated to like production designer, uh, in the 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 filmmaking aspect because uh She's putting together the the different layers and the the scapes of what you can do with reality and the dreamscape, and as we kind of learn from Michael Caine, who's Dom's father in this film, uh, that he used to do it. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was a great architect in his day, but now he can't do it because his subconscious is a freaking disaster, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's rife with you know implications of what he might build in there and put in there. So he needs a fresh, unaltered mind that doesn't have access to his past, uh, and we get some really cool scenes here of them at like a Paris cafe, and it explodes and
0: blows up, uh, buildings folding on top of. Buildings. Oh gosh,
1: that, that that image, the 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 the, the building just like kind of like like a tabletop just folding on top of itself, thinking like, gosh, we could Doctor Strangey, right? Yeah, I mean Doctor Strange really takes that concept and and runs with it in a a more fantastical way, but that it's that idea, right. That we can manipulate the environment, uh, around us. Now, a, a couple in, important things, uh, in as is we're assembling our team. And, you know, I love team assembly. Oppenheimer had great team assembly sequences. Uh, we've got to get Ariadne up to, up to speed on what she can add to the maze. So like Penrose steps of like just infinite paradoxes of ins and outs of that could work to our advantage. And, Build the may, and then the, the introduction of the totems, right? How do you know you're in reality? Because can you imagine like I, the, this is the great thing about inception is the world in reality a is very fascinating yet. We don't spend a lot of time s- talking about what this near future looks like. This is a reality where we can go into people's dreams and steal things. Yeah. <laughs> and we got that great scene in Mombasa where you just have people that like are a, strapped to a homeless people strapped to a dream machine. Cause this is the only way they can sleep. Yeah. What does the world in a truly really look like? Mm-hmm. Very interesting there, mm-hmm. but we don't, we don't spend a ton of time with that because it's, it's a mission movie. Right. Right. But yeah, yeah. What do you think of all that? What do you think? You know, we're setting roles of the, the, the players around uh, what's going to take place here from a story's perspective. You know, we love the teams. We love the creation of the teams. Like, how do you think Nolan, you know, is able to kind of piece this together here?
0: It's great because what he does is we inter- as we get introduced to the team mm. and come to understand the roles, then we're learning about the process that is very complex at the same time. So not only are we learning who Eans is, and we're learning what Dom does. This, we're is, this is my introduction to Tom Hardy, too, was yeah. this film. Yeah, I was like, who is
1: that guy? Who is that? Well, it's Bane. <laughs> exactly. Sooner yeah. or later.
0: Yep. So as we're seeing the role that these guys play in this, they're doing a really good job... Showing and telling of how you construct these de- dreamscapes that allow you access to the idea or piece of the subconscious you want to steal with an active protagonist. That's not completely unlike Mr. Smith, and that you can kill a million of them and there are millions more because they're just projections from your subconscious. Mm-hmm. But it's important. You know, every movie that's going to have some action needs a stormtrooper. We need something to fight so we can watch these sequences unfold that allow you to really play in the surreal the way dreams do. So you're getting a tutorial on levels B, C, D, and E. You're getting to know the characters and how important they are, whether you are the chameleon or the architect And I'm not like, I don't even know if I know what Arthur that's Joseph Gordon. I don't know if I know what his official role is. I do know the
1: names. I used to know these years ago. So Eames is the forger. Okay. And uh, Arthur's title is the point man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which makes sense. He runs point in level two, right? Yes, he does. just like making sure everything doesn't go to complete hell, which it almost does. So then
0: what's Dom? So he's
1: he's the... uh, Because
0: if he's not the point man... The point man, who's troubled with images from his past, so he can't be the point man anymore. Give me a first second. guy off the bench. Yeah, six man. <laughs>
1: yeah, there you go. Uh, let let me pull it up real quick. Uh, vamp for a second while I'm looking this up.
0: Yeah. So the audience is going to get introduced to a really complex concept in a relatively quick period of time on multiple levels through the characters and the way they play in the dream space. His role is technically the extractor. Okay, he's the thief.
1: Yeah. Okay. Killian Murphy is the mark. Yeah. Uh, Marion Cotillard is the shade yeah. or the femme fatale mall. And, and then, uh, uh, Ken Watanabe is the tourist. Cause they keep telling him like, dude, you can't come with us. But he, he keeps saying, I must protect it. I need to make sure you guys are like on task. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I saw what Lucas Haas and all the things he did. Right. So he kind of tags along and just, yeah, it's troublesome
0: from there. So add to all this is a time element because oh, what's and, happening and Yusef, the chemist. Oh my bad, yeah. <laughs> the guy who's a little, gets you to sleep long enough so you can carry all this out. All of this training for Ariadne and for us has to happen relatively quickly because Fisher's father's about to die. And once his father dies and Fisher takes over the business, he can do whatever he wants to it's over. Yeah. So set the fuse on the bomb and let it burn. We know they have to go quickly in this because there's days yeah. before so, so Fisher dad is dead so we got
1: to build quickly and we got to plan efficiently and I love that exchange of how do we inception an idea which is like a huge corporation and your inheritance how do we convince someone to dissolve that right and make it think make them think it's their own <laughs> oh yeah yeah talk about a tough order uh but they they come up with a pretty great idea which is You know, positive catharsis trumping negative catharsis. Mm -hmm. So let's not destroy his relationship with his dad and just have him be bitter. Let's repair that and have him be a a legacy of crafting your own path forward, right? Mm -hmm. And if we can kind of create that idea through some sort of family repairing father-son relationship, which the genius of this idea is that it's in the dream and in reality Pete Pasta Wade probably didn't feel this way about his son, right? Yeah. It's just the idea that they're implanting is so simple at the end of the day. It's this little pinwheel that they're going to make make happen of this idea of he wanted me to be my own man, right? But the the path to get there around it is so grandiose and extreme and extravagant. And man, I'm here for every second of it. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you the two moments when I knew I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm in the the middle of greatness right now watching this film. We're not there yet, but we're, we're getting there. So I guess we'll jump to the heist or
0: the inception,
1: right? Yeah. So well, I think there's a pretty pivotal scene that takes place before the inceptioning, uh, flight of nets. Ariadne oh, goes in, dumb. goes into Dom's dream, which is Dom's just dreaming, dreaming in this elevator of regret, right? Or elevator of past memories which is playing on the beach with his wife and kids, you know, the moment when, you know, he leaves, all these different moments in time are like floors in an elevator, right? Genius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and she gets a real good snapshot onto how fragile this this guy's uh, mind is really. Uh, I'm going to play the clip here.
2: What are you doing here? My name is... I know who you are. What are you doing here? I'm just trying to understand. How could you understand? Do you know what it is to be a lover? To be half of a whole? No. I'll tell you a riddle. You're waiting for a train. A train that will take you far away. You know where you hope this train will take you. But you don't know for sure. But it doesn't matter. How can it not matter to you when a train will take you? Because we'll be together. How could you bring her here, Dom? What is this place? This is the hotel suite where we used to spend our anniversary. What
1: happened here? You You mm. Maul's dangerous, isn't she? Yeah. Just the idea of her. I mean, this is a, in reality A, this is a dead person. Well, French for evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mall, French for evil. Exactly, yeah. This is a fantastic character. I love that it's played by Marion Cotillard, too. I mean, if she were around in the 40s, she would have been in Double Indemnity. Like, she'd be playing Phyllis Dietrichson. Mm -hmm. Fantastic femme fatale look uh, in this film. But, man, she's such a wild card in this thing because she's showing up in all the worst places at the worst times and bringing in different fabrications of reality. And it's all projections from DiCaprio's character, his POV, right? He's so troubled and guilt-ridden with What he's done, which we'll find out later, and I have that clip as well, that he's trying to make some sort of peace with that. And that's kind of his journey at the end of the day, too. That's his arc, uh, is how can I put to bed this horrible monster that I created while doing this seemingly impossible inception job that's only been done once. Kind of. With nefarious (laughs) intentions, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a tall order, and so Ariadne tells him like, "You got to tell someone, or I got to come along just in case, just in case mm-hmm. you know things go awry." Which guess what they do?
0: <laughs> yeah, she's the only one that knows what his truth is. But anytime they go into a dreamscape, Arthur's aware of Maul. I don't think he's as informed as Ariadne is about exactly what Maul yeah, intends the, to do. The details of it, yeah. Well. When we go to the floor where Maul is waiting, that is the hotel room, their anniversary hotel room, the place is trashed and yeah. it looks like there's been a fight there. So good on Nolan. What the hell happened between our hero and his wife? Because that looks like all hell broke loose. Yeah, And not to turn it into Godfather with Connie and Carlo, <laughs> But it's not far from it with the wreckage that's around their broken plates. Mm-hmm. And then you get Maul, and there's that great moment. It's just, it, and it's just Cotillard doing a good job when she looks over her right shoulder when Ariadne shows up, and you're just realizing that you are in the presence of something that wants nothing positive to do with you. Mm-hmm. Sinister. Almost ghostly, right? Femme fatale, but to the level that it's, yeah, like demonic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so (laughs) where's Marion Cotillard been the last couple of years? I can't tell you the last film I
1: saw, or maybe it was that Allied with uh, Brad Pitt. Uh, But she's really good here.
0: So we get a bit of a snapshot into what he's wrestling with, which is the demons of his deceased wife. Now, they don't give you too much yet. They give you enough to keep you wondering. We're going to get the full fleshed out version of what happened in this relationship. Mm -hmm. But how could something that Cotillard, this beautiful woman, be so wicked... And then see Dom so troubled by yeah, it. Yeah. Knowing that anytime he goes to B or C or D, she's coming along because he can't control his subconscious. That's why it's a subconscious. He can control her in his conscience most of the time, <laughs> although there's a couple moments where she sort of crops up or the kids crop up. Well,
1: she shows up in that great scene too when you know they're at the Paris Bridge and he's like, don't create memories from real places, only ideas of it. Because you won't be able to tell the difference if you're dreaming or if it's A. Yeah. Uh, and she shows up like Alex Forrest in Fatal Attraction mm-hmm. with a knife and stabs Ariadne. I mean, it's it's remarkable just how horrific it could potentially get, how bitter she is as a subconscious projection, not even as her real person. Well, that's weird because I think he's projecting yeah. that she's jealous. And angry. Yeah, Mad at him for the path he- he let her down when in reality, I think she's pretty an okay person.
0: Yeah. Uh, So the internal conflict he's dealing with is trying to rectify these ugly memories of his wife when he's terribly, terribly still in love with her. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about tortured? Yeah. We're talking about tortured to the highest degree here. This poor guy. Yeah. And then as we get into it and we sort of find out why she became this darker version of herself towards the latter part of their relationship, you just feel so bad for him. Mm-hmm. But if Dom is the expert and Dom is the one who knows how all of this is supposed to work and how we're going to incept the idea and kind of lead things, even though Arthur's the point man, it's it's Dom's party, mm-hmm. let's be honest mm-hmm. about it. How much can you really trust him if every other time you go a level down, she shows up to do you all in? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So we get to the inception of it also. Pete Postlewaite, uh Killian Murphy's father, he dies. So they're going to have the funeral in LA. I think it's, is it uh, Sydney to Los Angeles? So we got, what, an 18-hour, 10-hour flight? Oh, man. Yep. I don't know. I don't know if I could do a 10-hour flight, man. That, Brutal. I don't know if I could handle that. Mm-hmm. I can only sit down for so long. If yeah. I can get up and move around, which in those types of flights, you technically can. Yeah. But that's a lot of freaking sitting. Anyway, so Saito's bought out the whole airline. He pulls a Bruce Wayne. He's just like, oh, I bought the airline. And the Russian ballet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I bought this. Uh, this the owner should have minor. I own this restaurant type of, type of scenario. of hmm but, you know, they have to buy out the stewardess. They have to, like, have someone who can hit the button for them. She's got to kind of be on it at the base minimum. Uh, and they make, you know, acquaintance with Robert Fisher. May her father rest in peace before they knock him out. And then we're going right into Yusef's stream, which is level one, uh, which is cityscape.
0: Uh, rainy cityscape.
1: R- rainy cityscape. And it's only raining because... this. <laughs> three, four glasses of champagne this guy had before the flight took off. I think he's a nervous flyer, but
0: that weak bladder affects level one, right? And the level one goal, let's make sure we're clear on this, Mm -hmm. is to kidnap Mm -hmm. Robert Fisher, right? All of this has to do with helping Robert Fisher come to his own conclusion about not dissolving this company, which, again, they want to do it positively. With the pinwheel, yeah. But in order to get into the safe, mm-hmm. which is going to help this guy create this this sub
1: idea, yeah, <laughs>
0: this sub idea in his subconscious that it's all his, we have to come up with this impossible code. Yeah. So the first step of that, there's is no yep. code, though, guys. There's no lock. That's yeah. the thing. There, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no vault. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. You yeah, know, so yeah, the, the the goal is to. Kidnap him and then first play, you know, bring the uncle into the fold. Uh, the fr- it's Tom, Tom Berenger. It's Tom Berenger. I can't remember the character's name right now, but it's, yeah, we're going to, I'm going to use this good relationship that you already have now, this confidant that you have to kind of start whittling down, you know, what your dad really intended, laying the foundation for the seed, which was, there's an alternate will that uh, supersedes the actual will that dissolves your inheritance. And lets you go for a genome path. And at first, Killian Murphy's like, what a slap in the face. An alternate will that like takes away everything that was left to me? He didn't want this for you. He wanted you to create his own So they're starting there, right? Mm-hmm. And then in level two, it's genius because they kind of take that idea, flip it on its head, uh, and kind of get him more involved in what the dream aspect is. But this level one stuff is awesome. And this was the part where so rainy Cityscape, we're getting in the cars, we're stealing him. And the moment I knew I was like, oh my God, this movie is just gonna be amazing. I'm already on board. But when that train comes through the middle of that cityscape, and we're gonna find out what the what that train actually is later. But when you watch it visually, I'm like, Nolan like somehow got like uh, a train with like 15 cabooses long down a city street. Wild. Right. Yeah. And I'm like w- the possibilities and think how you dream, right? You know, if you're having a nightmare, you try and not, at least this is how what's happened to me is like, don't think of that. Like thing, don't think of spiders and what happens like spider shows up. Mm-hmm. Like when you put it out there, it appears. Yeah. So because he's so troubled and guilt ridden with this past incident, Oh gosh, like oh, that, that I shouldn't have done that train thing. Oh shit, I just brought a train into the dream here. And here it comes and nearly, nearly takes them out. And Ariadne's like this wasn't part of the design. And he's just like, oh my God. What do you think of that? It's just just the the, the design of it all. Like if we can pull a freight train into the middle of a cityscape, like what could we possibly do creatively with these design elements here.
0: Yeah, I think we're talking about just the visual effects here in this initially because it takes a minute to process why is there a train and you'll come to the conclusion later like you said. We've seen the city build on it. We've seen window panes blow up in slow motion. All of that makes sense to me because when we have dreams... There is no matter. There is no weight. There's no time and space. There's just these random things that show up, and we like that's why we tell these jokes. Got yeah, to tell you about this dream I had last night. I'm walking to the blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. and this rabbit showed up eating yogurt. You're like, what? Right. That yeah. kind of stuff just happens. Yeah. So initially, I didn't think it was out of the realm of possibility of a train running through there, and I thought, well, were they on train tracks? Which the answer is no. Well, but the bigger issue is that train serves a purpose. Later, but also it wipes out his car. Yeah, when you're trying to run an efficient mission. Yeah. You ain't
1: going to bring in a freight train into the middle of your scenario, (laughs) right? Right. And so it all goes to hell. Like they kind of get bottlenecked in a weird way with Mm -hmm. with the projections, Fisher's projections, which in this world of reality A, people can have their subconscious train with... Defense mechanism. Defense mechanisms. An army. Yeah, in your head while you sleep because they might try and steal your company's secrets. Wow. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Saito's been trained with Dream Security because he works for this energy conglomerate, and his whole thing is like Fisher's got – if they get power over what I do, we're out of business, but what they're going to do with it is not going to maybe be a little nefarious, right? Yes, right. Ooh, man, we're playing with a lot of big ideas right mm-hmm. now, and we get we get a, we we get to let these characters kind of go at it for a bit. Where were you? What happened to you? <laughs> Blocked by a freight train. Why would you put a train crossing in the middle of a downtown intersection? I didn't. Where'd it come from? Well, let me ask you a question. Why the hell were we ambushed? Huh? Those were not normal projections. They've been trained, for God's sake. You're right. How could he be trained? Fisher's had an extractor teach his subconscious to defend itself, so his subconscious is militarized. It should have shown in the research. I'm mean, sure So why the hell didn't it? <gasps> Calm down. Don't tell me to calm down This was your job, goddammit This was your responsibility You were meant to check Fisher's background thoroughly We are not prepared for this type of violence We have dealt with subsecurity before We'll be a little more careful and we're gonna be fine This was not a part of the plan, he's dying for god's no, sake
2: Don't do that oh, hey, Don't hey, do hey. that He's in agony, I'm waking him up It won't wake him up What do you mean it won't wake, it won't him. wake him up When, when up. we die in a dream, we wake up Not from this We're too heavily sedated to wake up that way Right, so what happens when we die? I drop in a limbo. Are you
1: serious? Limbo?
2: Unconstructed dream space. Well, what the hell is down there?
1: Just raw, infinite subconscious. Nothing is down there. Except for whatever might have been left behind by anyone sharing the dream who's been trapped there before. Which, in our case, is just you.
2: Well, how long can we be stuck there?
1: Can't even think about trying to escape
2: until the sedation how is eased. Decades. It could be infinite. I don't know. Ask him. He's the one who's been there. Just get him upstairs. Oh, great. Thank you. So now we're trapped in Fisher's mind, battling his own private army. And if we get killed, we'll be lost in limbo till our brains tend to scramble egg. Hmm?
1: So talk about making things worse before we can uh, make it better, right? We got to increase the stakes. We got to make things a little bit more problematic uh, from a story perspective. I really got to talk about Jago uh, and Leo in this film. I think they're a fantastic pair together. How they haven't been in another movie together is just beyond me. But, like, they're a good, like, one-two punch in this film. Leo with the heavy lifting, you know, he's a fantastic lead in many a film. Uh, Let's talk about just some alternatives here. Uh, Brad Pitt, I think, was another name tossed around. I can definitely see that one. Uh, Will Smith as well. I see that one less, but... Maybe he passed on it. I don't know if he was officially offered, but that would just be another film in the Will Smith filmography. Dude, he passed on Neo. He passed on Django, right? He passed on some, like, huge marquee roles that, like, went pretty good ways, right? Yeah. But I think Leo's a good choice here, right? I I think he anchors this film well uh, in his classic Leo mannerisms. There's a lot for him to carry uh, with this idea, and then just Joseph Gordon-Levitt. This was the film that reintroduced me to him. I was like, this is the kid from Third Rock from the Sun? I was like, he's still acting? Yeah. And then that took me back to 500 Days of Summer, and then everything he had been doing kind of since and after, right? Oh, wow, yeah, okay. So this was the one I was like, I know that guy. What's he been doing since, right? Brick and all these other amazing mm-hmm. films, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just a, It's just a good cast kind of all around, right? It's just... Tom Hardy, Ken Watanabe, all, all of them.
0: I'm really glad he went with Leo. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's other guys he could put in there. The pit would have worked. Sure would have. Yeah. Um, You know what struck me in the sound on this time without watching it? Dom's really over the top with how hot he comes on the security. Yeah. Is that because he's trying to deflect? Yeah. That this train, Is which this, was his <laughs> machination, absolutely. just wiped out their dream, mm-hmm. their maze? Yeah. Because I think he's, he's, he's a little...
1: uh Going defensive, a little defensive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, getting hot, 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 hot and heavy here, hot headed, Sonny Corleone over here. Mm. Uh, because he's like, okay, we gotta deal with advanced uh subconscious uh defense projections on top of all the other things I'm gonna be bringing into this as well. Like, I don't know if we can do this, guys. And on top of that, we're so heavily sedated that if we die here, we keep falling further because that won't wake us up uh on the on the surface A, right? So, yeah, don't get killed, and hopefully you don't bring something in that's going to totally derail this whole operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is great stakes building in the middle of this story here. Uh, and then we get to see Eames uh, you go go do the forging thing. He pretends to be Tom Barringer, Uh, and they have that conversation that I alluded to, which was the alternate will, and so it'll supersede that. But, man, we got to get this show on the road because the projections are coming in. Let's get in the van. And I once we get in this van in poor Youssef, like he has to drive around for about four minutes in, I think in dream time, mm-hmm. they're shooting at him and he's got to keep the van from tipping over. Dude, this van takes a tumble too. Uh, but well, he's in control. We go into Arthur's dream, which is this hotel scape, right? What a fantastic location for a dreamscape. The levels, the, the, the lobby here, and so they're going to run with another fabrication, which is the Mr. Charles scenario, which is letting the Mark know you are in a dream and let me bring your attention
0: to the weirdness of reality, right? Yeah, so the idea with that is you turn your subconscious against it's yourself. Mr. Charles or is it Mr. Josh? Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm,
2: joke,
1: I'm joking.
0: Hey, honorable
1: mention on my spec screenplays too.
0: Okay, Lethal Weapon. Yeah, yeah, for sure, right? Yeah. I do not come with that? Mm-hmm. Well, then put Die Hard on there too
1: uh uh-huh, based on a book. Oh, is yeah. it? Well, never mind. Don't yeah. put it on there then. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, the Mr. Charles hasn't worked. It's come up before, and Arthur makes it very clear to everybody that that's not the best idea, that it hasn't worked in the past. Well, shit. If we're already at this idea that's been tried by Dom in the past and has shown minimal results, this is already at a breaking point, and we're only two levels deep. The question then you start need to start asking is, What's in it for Eans and Youssef and it's, Arthur because Dom yeah. gets his family back. What do those guys get? It's a paycheck. This is a profession it, it in this be. in this future. Right. Just it better like, be a paycheck. Yeah. And they're risking a lot.
1: And I think they're just they're hopping from job to job with these nefarious corporations to steal things from people's minds. I mean, this is I'm telling you, Matt, the world in A that is non uh, nondescript and doesn't, they don't go into detail with it. There's like 10 stories over there in a, like of what this future looks mm-hmm. like in this, with this technology. Mm-hmm. So do you want to come into my dream map where, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I have these reoccurring nightmares about like being late for college courses oh, on God. finals day, yeah. and I I haven't been to the class all year long.
0: <laughs> That's troubled you for so long, yeah. And I somehow have are you to, naked? Are th- you at least no? Clothed? I'm not
1: naked. I'm clothed, but mm-hmm. like I now have to fake a final and wonder, oh, what about all the other grades I haven't turned in or assignments <laughs> I haven't done? That's awful, dude. I wake up in a dead sweat. That oh. is, that in jazz band, you know, I wake up and I'm like being tormented by the uh, the perils of. Not quite my tempo, right?
0: I'm glad you brought that up right now, which is funny and something we need to get you some help about. But I'm okay. It brings <laughs> you are okay. It brings up something that I really appreciate. This movie doesn't do. You know what I hate more than almost anything? Yeah, is the bullshit dream analysis. There's no bigger oh, yeah. crock on the planet than maybe like dog whisper. Okay, <laughs> you had a dream about your father. Oh, you're sexually repressed. Or maybe I just was hungry like all of that building okay so the random neural firings of your subconscious cannot equate to archetypal absolutes that is horseshit and i love that this movie other than the totem which actually i can't wait till we get into that discussion too because that's Mm -hmm. also pretty loaded yeah is nowhere here that's such a oh my god anytime the the spoon shows up in your dream, it means this. No, what shows up in his dreams is mall, and that actually does mean something. Yeah. And it means exactly what your subconscious is relaying. Guilt. Guilt. Yeah. Not a fucking swan, meaning like you (laughs) missed a trampoline when you were seven years old and bumped your head. Yeah. No, it means guilt.
1: (laughs) A dream analysis.
0: It's it's horseshit. Yeah. You open up a new bottle. This is the Ponderosa whiskey. How is this? Let's dive in. All right. Ooh, that's good. That's from Taos. This is a, a local, well, almost local bottle. Like my Jimmy gave this to me for my birthday.
1: That's a smooth, smooth whiskey. I'm trying to see like what else is kinda go- yeah, wanna, going on there. I
0: can drink more anxiety. I go coach a basketball game this afternoon, but have a little sip. Maybe my assistant's gonna <clears throat> handle timeouts. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, you hear that? Get ready. There you go. Dan's been on the show. You guys know who Dan is.
1: Um all right, let's see. Mm. yeah almost syrupy i get like a syrupy yeah, maple, kind right. of tasting and also kind of like a consistency as well it's not like a sticky sticky drink but that's a smooth oh my goodness that's, that's a smooth
0: drink you know what's weird what this reminds me of you're gonna laugh when i tell you this this reminds me of of dr squatch wood barrel bourbon
1: mm. fantastic soap
0: podcast has gone off the rails with the liquor this week everybody that's amazing that's that's a good drink right there. oh to that one good yeah. job jimmy thank you jimmy yeah
1: so here in dream two mm. arthur's dream we're doing the mr joshua mr charles <laughs> scenario bringing his twin to the gravity of the dream so as yusuf is struggling to keep the van in check right mm-hmm. the drinks are tipping it's raining it's just chaos right and so we have all our pieces in place here to let him know, and now turn Tom Berenger against Killian Murphy, which is, yeah, this is the the real truth of it all. But if you want to dive in deeper into into that, we need to go a level further, and then that's where the the the, the safe is, right? That's where the the hospital room is, uh, and this is where the film really excels for me here. So we're going to go into Eames' dream here, which is this. James Bond, and I have the Arctic. note. Arctic Base, and I have this note here, and we got to talk a little bit about this right now, Matt. So Christopher Nolan has said that the Snow Base third-level dream was inspired by his favorite James Bond movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is the George Lazenby one, which, fantastic pick, Mr. Nolan, because that's the dark horse of the entire franchise, right? Uh, but a fantastic Bond film. His name has been floated around... James Bond for years uh, since this film, I think. Mm. uh Of uh, well, who's going to direct? Is Sam Mendes? Is who's going to do the next Bond film? And when he was doing the press rounds for Oppenheimer, of course they asked him, like, "Would you ever do a Bond film?" And his answer was like, "You know, if the situation was right, absolutely, I would want to kind of be in on the ground level and have some say in picking the actor." Oh, which- please. Which, you know, I, I, that was kind of thing. I was like, who who he's worked with could be. I was like, that puts Tom Hardy in the fold. That puts Robert Pattinson in the fold as Bond. Mm-hmm. Or someone else that's not on our radar, right? But I was like, oh, gosh, that, there's a lot of baggage there. Because, A, you're making a Nolan film, which is its own look and feel, right? And then you're making a Bond film, which comes with its own caveats and title songs and sequences. But when I was watching the third act of this film, specifically in The Snow Planet, uh, the Snow World, I was like, I think it could work. And I think it could be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So imagine this, Matt. A, a Bond movie directed by Christopher Nolan. A, you're getting all the Nolan heads out there that love his films. that The Oppenheimer people, right? I'm going to see that film because he made it. it yeah. His name's a brand. Mm-hmm. And then you couple that with the James Bond brand, that it's a Nolan film, but it's a Bond movie. Explosion. That movie would be huge. It'd be Batman. Again. Yeah. It would be a huge property. So if he's he awesome. if he decides to go down that route, hey, I'm on board. And I think he could slay that that concept. So that'd be cool. Let's hope that happens. And the thing, too, in this film, Hans Zimmer is on firing on mm-hmm. all cylinders with his soundtrack. Hans Zimmer scored No Time to Die, the last Bond film. Uh, so he's done it before. I'm, there there might be some pieces in play there. Ooh, let's
0: hope. That'd be cool.
1: Possibly. Because, you know, the Bond franchise, you know, post-Craig now, like, I don't know, like, what, what it's going to be, what it's going to look like. Amazon owns the property. This is a total segue into something else entirely, but... Uh, I think there's a good possibility here. Uh, we'll have to pay attention to this. and Fingers crossed. Yeah. Dude, I'm seeing that movie six times in the theater. I don't even care. Man, that's Dude, fun. that's just coupling two things that I absolutely adore, right? Yeah. One of my favorite film franchises with my favorite working director.
0: It's awesome. Yeah. Let's hope for you. But here, for all of us. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, But okay, so here on level two, Arthur's going to run point. Okay, yeah. Right? And we got people going into level three, which is Eames's dream of this snowscape to get Fisher into this vault. And it turns into that that part turns into a spy movie. There's all these projections and skiing and all this fun stuff. And then Arthur, this this was the moment, Matt. This was the moment I was like, oh my God, we're in the we're in the annals of greatness right here. Because poor Youssef is he he's got to do fight off uh, people on motorcycle and people are shooting at him and they kind of careen him on like this, like uh, a guardrail on this highway and then they send him toppling over. So his van's like in like three sixty free fall. Mm -hmm. And on level two, what that looks like is Joseph Gordon Levitt's hotel hallway that he's in is spinning and rotating. And the way it's done in shot, one shot, one sequence in camera a rotating hallway action fight scene. man, it blew my mind in 2010. It blows my mind every time I see it. This is the Trinity test moment of inception. Yeah. And I want to play the clip. I want to just kind of play like kind of how we got there and like, what what is it in the movie? 30 seconds? Mm-hmm. Minute maybe. Uh, well, they go into the hotel room and that, that carries on. But this, the hallway part is short, 25, 30 seconds, I think. After we determined the methodology for rotating the sets, which was basically suspending the set in these huge rings, Chris Corbald had one of his engineers work with us initially on what size the rings needed to be and how they were going to function, because there was uh, an enormous amount of structural steel that needed to be welded and formed months ahead of when the set needed to be built. There was a series of,
2: I think, eight 30-foot diameter rings which were all joined together, and each one of those rings was rotated using an electric motor via camshafts and drive wheels. The whole thing had to be built to close tolerances because if it was out or if the rings weren't totally round, you know, would have given us all sorts of problems. It would have created vibrations and bumps. And the, the main thing about it was the accuracy in, in, in actually fabricating the rig.
1: I mean, the idea of using a centrifuge to manipulate gravity. It's been done on various films, most notably Kubrick's 2001. Uh, and I like the idea of repurposing that technology and really trying to, to choreograph entire fight sequence and camera movement and all the rest. Really do something that could be completely in camera in a way that you know I hadn't, hadn't seen before. With any of the sets that required this movement. All the equipment had to be locked into the set. It either had to rotate with it if it made sense or the the set would rotate out of of the light. So it did require a lot of planning uh, on my part in order to determine what was going to happen with lights when the set moved and what was going to happen with the camera. Is the camera separate from the set or is it actually rotating with the set? If you lock the camera on... The ground. The audience doesn't see the room spinning. The audience just sees us moving all over the place. It looks like we're jumping on the ceiling and stuff. In order to actually get it done, I couldn't think of it that way. I had to think of it as this is the ground. Okay, now this is the ground. Okay, now this is the ground. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh.
2: <It's a> <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt had, I think, probably only about two weeks rehearsal, and he honestly was fantastic, and he attacked it with such excitement and um, enthusiasm, and he was determined to do it all himself, and it really, really pays off. You have to have the, the right mindset and the right physicality to do it. If you start looking outside, you get motion sickness, you get, you do physically get disorientated, so it's keeping inside of this environment, and I mean the director tried it, I tried it, it
1: it was not easy, and he far exceeded what we did. So many action movies now, and it's all done on computers later, whereas these scenes that we did, it was so well thought out, it's just things revolving, and it's up to me to keep my balance, and, and we did the performance, and they shot it, and that's that. I love that. There's no substitute for real human energy performance That that was the most fun. It's the most challenging, and the most fun. I remember when I saw the uh, footage from that scene; it it really is stunning. And we did elect to play it in one shot simply because our immediate uh, response when you first see the footage is it just doesn't look possible.
0: It's very clever. It's awesome.
1: So when I saw it, you know, in 2010, that opening day, uh, my mind was blown at story wise how that was taking place, right? The van's flipping, and now he's flipping in this hallway. And then weeks later when I was like, that's how they did it? They had like this rotating centrifuge that was kind of turning at an alarm. The camera was stationary, but like Gordon Levitt and that other stuntman was like kind of rotating with it. Phenomenal, like right in camera, no wires, no CGI, something that was actually built. What they say, eight rings? it all rings, have to yeah.
0: s- turn at the same speed or the set's going to get the set pieces are going to get destroyed so
1: many moving pieces and then That's awesome. Wally Pfister the cinematographer who won an Oscar for this film is having to figure out okay if the the set is turning how do we change the lighting scheme as the set's turning that way it's consistent right so many factors to consider for something that I, i'm telling you i think it's 25 to 30 seconds on screen and it's it's a showstopper yep the, every time Gordon Levitt comes walking on that walls to fight that guy there, dude, like, dude, hair standing up on my arms. It's really doing it. Yeah, really doing it for me. To that. Uh, so while that's all taking place, you know, we're here in three, fiddling around over here, mall showing up, everything's unstable, and then Yusef takes the van off the bridge, which dissipates gravity on level two, which kind of screws uh, Arthur's role because he needed to blast the room to drop them with gravity now he doesn't have a means to do that anymore so they're in free fall he's in zero G and these people are racing against the clock to go open this vault because the projections are closing in dude we're we're in it we're in it to win it well it brings
0: <laughs> up how you get out of the dream sequence which is the kick mm-hmm. and that's oh,
1: gosh through
0: but- a free falling technique cued in by music Cued in by music, so we're gonna. It's coming, and then during this musical interlude, you need to find some way to free fall.
1: Yeah, genius. Edith Piaf uh, is this thing played by Marion Cotillard in the <laughs> film *Levi and Rose*, which she won an Oscar
0: for. So, wow. There you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes.
1: the inceptioning of this movie.
0: <laughs> How do you kick at zero g's? How do you kick a van that's being chased by projections of of countless bad guys? How do you kick in an Arctic shelter? Oh. We've got to figure it out. And it all has to happen in the same period of time by period. It's different at the different levels and the lengths are different, but mm-hmm. regardless, it needs to happen now. One of the best parts of the movie that visually is stunning that uses the van falling through the air into the lake below is the measurement of how much space is left until the van impacts the water. It's the ticking clock. Because the minute it impacts the water is the minute the free fall is over. Mm -hmm. So you have this amount of time, and I love it in the movie because as all of these events are a folding sub two, so three and four and eventually five, right? Three, four, five, is there three more? No, three and four.
1: No, there is five, five's limbo.
0: all right, so three yeah. would be the hotel, four would be Arctic base, and five is limbo, right? yeah, so three, four, no, and no, 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 one, one, no, two is, a is a is now two A's is now, the van, no,
1: no, 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 a would be now one would be city, rainy city, yeah, the van, two's hotel, right, three is snowy, four is, limbo, you no, know, dream, that's a that's a that's a whole separate one, that's the apartment, mall's apartment, oh, you're and right. that's Cobb's dreams, oh, you're
0: right, there is, yep, and then five is limbo, yeah, okay, so as the kick is happening at 1 all of the other kicks need to occur in the subsequent the, the sub subsequent levels mm-hmm. during the same amount of time but what also screws that up is time on 1 is different than that it is in 2 than it is in 3 than it is in 4 you got to get all this timed right and if you miss the kick and you are stuck on level 5 yeah. you're stuck yeah, you that, don't wake up on level, you don't wake up in A. So you've got to find, you have to find your own kick mm-hmm. at that level to get back to A. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's
1: that sort of the editing really comes in and really slays in this film, which is intercutting all those things so sequentially they all kind of make sense at the right times. Mm-hmm. So, Arthur's got to think on his seat, okay, how do I drop you without gravity? Uh, I could put you on the elevator and we'll just drop the elevator, right? With uh, with uh, C4. Basically, using you bouncing off the ceiling of the elevator. I got
0: to create my own gravity. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Jeez, wow. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so, that's that preparation's awesome. I, I love, love that he
0: wraps him up with a telephone wire. Yeah,
1: too. and that's so science fiction. That's in the trailer, and you're just like, what is that guy doing over there? Yeah. Why is he wrapping people up that way? Yeah. And then when you see the movie, you're like, oh, I understand why. And all doing all that in zero G, I think, is just challenging just to begin with. And then here we are in the the, the snow world, blowing stuff up, avalanches. It's crazy. And Fisher's pretty much killed, right? I mean, he's he, he's shot by Maul mm-hmm. uh, right before he's about to go into the safe. And so we realize, oh, we got to go one further. We got to go get him now. And it's in yeah Cobb's dream, which is this barren wasteland of repressed memories, right? This world that him and Marion Cotillard like spent years building, uh, this apartment and growing old together. And he's up there, so now we got to find a way to fabricate. I got to take Fisher. We got to get him to come back to
0: life again. We'll defibrillate him on this level to bring him back there. I've got to rescue the guy that this whole mission is about to incept the idea from him. Who's been assassinated by my dead ex-wife who has infiltrated every level of this. So I've got to go face to face with my ex-wife come clean on what happened so that maybe I can bury this ghost in order to get her to let his surviving corpse one level below the level he's dead on, which would be the Arctic base to kick him back Into life through a defibrillator, essentially a kick, to get him back alive on level three so that we can eventually get him back to A. With the idea, I want to dissolve my father's company of his own choosing to get Don back to his family. What are we, how many levels is that? (laughs)
1: How do you keep this straight?
0: That's Wait, such complex story. So but the ladies more, and gentlemen, this movie came out in July of twenty ten, right? In the
1: smackdown in the middle of summer, and you're just being slapped with all these ideas yeah. and trying to keep track of dream levels. Who's awake? Whose dream are we in? How do we get this person into the next one or back into that one? And we're not dumbing it down for the audience. No, that's why no. that's why this is such dense material that
0: you have to go back to and essentially Mall has kidnapped Fisher. And Dom has to come to terms. Oh, you got it. All right. Mm-hmm. let's play it. Here it is. New
1: new. Oh, wrong one. This. I, was just, just, I don't know that. Jesus Christ! This one. The reason I knew Inception was
0: possible
2: <laughs> was
1: because I
0: I did it to her first. What? I did it to my
2: own wife. Why? We were lost in here. I knew we needed to escape. She wouldn't accept it. She had locked something away, something. something deep inside. A truth that she had once known but, but chose to forget. She couldn't break free. So I decided to search for it. I went deep into the recess of her mind and found that secret place. I broke in and I planted an idea. A simple little idea that would change everything. That her world wasn't real.
1: This train will take you, but you can't know for sure, and it doesn't matter. I'm telling
2: you why. Because
1: oh. So just think of how how dense that is. Is Leo and Mal and Dom or Cobb have spent so much time? playing with the potential of what dreams can and cannot look like. And they could spend 50 years down here, and it would be a few hours up on A. Mm -hmm. Not bad, right? But when they got so in deep with it, and that started to become her reality, right? Yeah. And he kind of thought it was like the only way to pull her out of this is to do it this way, in this kind of almost nefarious way. And then even when she comes out of it, she's still convinced that this isn't real. This isn't the reality. And that's where the totem comes into play and all of that
0: stuff. Let's talk about these totems. Okay. My question for you is, is the idea of the totem incepted and is in fact never a thing? And is it at this moment? Here's, what I'm, here's my argument. Mm-hmm. Let's assume that Dom or Cobb has learned from Michael Caine in this film how to do some level of this. Yeah, He and his wife go on a date into dreamland and she likes it so much and gets so spun out there that she can't tell the difference between A versus dreamland. So like you said, two hours is 50 years down there and they grow old. And then when she comes back, she can't realize that she's out of the dreamland. And that's because he incepts the idea from her or he incepts the idea in her that the totem that's hidden away in the safe that she stored Mm -hmm. is spinning. Now the rules on this are if your totem spins or doesn't topple over or doesn't do what it's supposed to do, then you're in dreamland. So when he opens up that safe and her top is in there and he spins it, which is really interesting because the fact that it's in a safe is also mirroring Fisher at the same time, who essentially his totem, right? What if it, you know, what would be crazy in this movie is if he opened up that safe and it was spinning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't. Mm-hmm. He spins her top in that safe and then closes the safe where it will continue to spin. Yeah. In Dreamland. Does it matter? And here's why because the rule is mm-hmm. nobody else can use your totem. Yeah. So then my question is...
1: Well, he uses her totem, right? He
0: uses her totem yeah. for... He, and he continually uses her totem. And the whole concept was actually her idea, right? Which was... So is 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 it her idea because he incepted it at that point? Yeah. And it, so do these totems even matter? I'm going to... The, the, today, mm-hmm. I'm, they don't matter at all. Okay.
1: That's an interesting perspective. Which
0: changes the end of the film, maybe. Yeah. It doesn't for me. I saw the same contention that I had even, but, but it does change like... The belief that this totem is this this element, this item, that can help you realize when you're in reality A yeah. versus some level of, of dream.
1: I think it's a great mechanism to kind of uh, differentiate the two, which was I know how this weighs and feels in my hand. I know that this in the dream will keep spinning and out here it won't. It'll topple over just to kind of keep my grasp on reality because it is such a tricky balance. Like, if this was a real thing, I could see, like, a ton of people just getting sucked into dreamland and, like, Food, screw reality. This is better. Right. But then you wouldn't be able to tell the difference because— Hello, my darling. Exactly. Like, think of, like, when you're in such a deep sleep and you wake up and, like, it takes you a little bit to kind of, like, get acquainted with, like, I got to start my day now, right? Yeah. You need, like, like 10 to 20 minutes of just, like, acclimation time. Yes,
0: you do. Uh,
1: so I think that's all on point here. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is a level of inception with the spinning top. And I think it's fascinating that, yeah, it it was her idea that she came up with,
0: or at least that's what's told to us. And what we don't know in this dream space is we don't know if we've gone into his subconscious or her subconscious in this dream space Mm because that's a whole other element too. Yeah, If we're in his subconscious and he spins her totem, what does that mean? Yeah, If we're in her subconscious and he spins her totem, What does that mean? And I'm not even going to begin to pretend to decode what that is. Yeah. But we don't know whose it is. I think it's his. I think it's his. Yeah. Maybe. But is it his because he's taken ownership after she's constructed it? All of that we do not know. He's The the point he's making to Ariadne is I tried to do this thing to get my wife to snap back into when she was in A and back in A and she couldn't come to terms with the fact that she was back in A.
1: Yeah, it grew like... And it,
0: drove, it basically drives her mad. Yeah, grew like a parasite in her and... Leading to her staging suicide, right? Which was to take the... Talk
1: about a nefarious, sinister move at the end there. Like, I'm going to be declared insane uh, by all these doctors. Stage a uh, domestic uh, violence scenario. Right. Right to the these people saying, you're not fit to take care of our kids. Kill myself that way. Just to prove to you that, like... Uh, this isn't reality. And so he loses everything. And so the guilt of like that inception, right? The, the, the title of the film, the idea is that he drilled so deep into that subconscious of her that she couldn't tell night from day. Right. Which gives
0: pause. Mm-hmm. Would you say him spinning her top is a negative or positive action?
1: I think it's positive. <sighs>
0: Okay, I I don't know because I can see the case for positive because I know his outcome, but he's he's trying to get a positive outcome, Mm -hmm. but is stealing her totem and using it negative? I think it's negative, and that goes back to the response earlier when they're talking about Fisher saying, let's incept the idea through positive means, not negative means, because I know what the hell it looks like when it's negative. Yeah, I did it before. And this is what it plays like. Mm -hmm. Plus, the other thing too, and Ariadne mentions it several times, you're destroying this guy's subconscious and his memories, aren't you? De- <sighs> so there's that moral weight of what I'm incepting and what I'm playing with in their subconscious think, is going to mess with them And A.
1: And I think he's finally able to make peace with it down here too, which was telling this projection form of all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wanted to be down here with you for years. And he's like, but we did have years. He like did it. We grew to our 80s and did this stuff. And I think that's the kind of reversal recognition of the film, which was these two grew old together, wrinkly and all uh, laid on the train tracks and then tried to get out of it. Right. They weren't young when they did that. They were an old couple together. They lived a full lifetime together. So if the loss was in, I didn't get to spend time with this person. Yeah, you did. Uh, But making peace with that ghost and saying we did get to have a, a life together and, I'm sorry that I let you down this past, but you know I still have you know part of me out there, my kids. So I
0: I need to get back to that for them. So in the interweaving of the rescue of Fisher, yeah.
1: Oh, that's, that's my maybe my favorite scene of the film, which is
0: this movie. Yeah, I think becomes I, a romance. Do you have the sound on this? Which of which part? A Fisher? Yeah.
2: yeah. This. this I know. I know you were disappointed. I couldn't be you. No. No, no, no. I was disappointed. I just tried.
1: Opens this vault. (laughs) Elevator's falling. Dude Zimmer's just slaying left Mm -hmm. and right, but you Fisher opens up this vault and sees this pinwheel in there, which is this very deep rooted memory of this photo. I don't know, some fair, something he made for his dad that we can show in this moment, whether it was reality or not in the dream reality, he kept this memento, which is enough to convince you. Yeah. Your dad really did care about you deep down, right? It's powerful. And it's so simple at the end of the day, when you think of how complex this idea of this film is from top to bottom, that idea is about as simple as something can get, right? Something between father and son, an image, a pinwheel, something you made in arts and craps, right? Yeah. Uh, just something so minuscule that gets the whole idea across where everything's, for Fisher at least, I understand now. And even though I'm asleep,
0: I, I realize that's rooted deep down.
1: My dad did have those feelings for me.
0: I love that. Mm-hmm. So if you drink on A... And then you need to pee on B or or you need, so you need to pee and it's raining cats and dogs on B. Yeah. So, okay. So that's, so D is where Fisher's talking to his dad. That's C. A van B hotel C Arctic D. Okay. So on D when Fisher is squaring these demons of family ties gone awry with his father, What's also happening on E is the same thing, and that's Mall and Dom making their piece as well. So, if you believe that the ripple down effect of what's happening on the previous level has weight on the lower level below it, then that's a nice corollary to draw between Dom and Mall. Here's where things get a little bit more wonky though mm-hmm. Mall is Dom's projection of what he thinks she should be doing. He remembers her in his mind unjustly, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: weepy and sorrowful and angry over his inception, Mm -hmm. or over his incepting the totem in her mind. What happens in the sound that you played prior to this one, the one before, is he admits to her in this moment Oh, he tells Ariadne, take the kick, jump off this, go back, rescue everybody. I got to go get Saito. He's dead, mm-hmm. and I'll be back in a minute with Saito. I got to go in level lower to get Saito. He's in, he's in limbo. He tells Maul, the memories that I have of you can't explain the complexities, the perfections, and the imperfections mm-hmm. that you were on A. And what I've created is a Shantate version of the woman that I used to love from these powerful emotions that I'm experiencing and thus they're projecting a negative image of you because the most recent recollection I have of you is you're committing suicide, jumping off the window or jumping off the ledge Mm -hmm. and setting me up in this domestic murder, (laughs) which of course he's going to have negative connotations about his wife. Mm -hmm. So what he does in this moment is as... Fisher is squaring the pit, the issue with his father and it's incepted. So it's not legitimate. And truth is dad Fisher didn't like son Fisher. He did not like him. Yeah. yeah. So they incept a positive relationship in Killian Murphy's relationship with dad. That
1: probably doesn't exist. Right. That doesn't right. It's yeah. a lie. Uh-huh.
0: Dom is experiencing the same thing, one level lower. And that's the squaring of broken domestic ties mm-hmm. with the lie that he created that ripple down effect is even in play here because Christopher Nolan is so intelligent mm-hmm. that he keeps to the, the rules that he set up earlier in the film and lets them have significant yeah. purpose yeah. in this moment. Yeah. I just, I that just part with, he's talking to him on me interrupt you one less thing. And then I'll, yeah. I'll give it to you that part when he's, that's my, that's going to be my, my favorite part in the movie, by the way, all of a sudden this is, Maybe one of the best scenes in a not romance that should be a romance that's ever been done. When he tells her, like,
1: but we did grow old together. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It
0: just rips your heart out. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, go ahead. They did have this life together. No, I just, I love the, simple, like, as complex as everything has been up to this point. Just keeping track of dream layers and dreams within dreams and jumps and kicks and just all this crazy shit. That at the end of the day, the inception of the title in here, not only with Maul, but with Killian Murphy, is this simple photograph and pinwheel, and that was it. Like it, yep. At the end of the day, we didn't have to come up with some complex, quadratic equation to dissolve his father's empire. It was literally an image that correlated to a memory that he held dear
0: to his heart, right? I love you, and I want you to be your own man.
1: And that was amazing, and that comes back to the team element. That's the research, yeah. that's Eames forging, and and impersonating to kind of come up with this simple idea of how we can make this man realize this tragic truth, right? And then so then we, we're, we're quadruple-kicking out of this thing, right? So the van hits the water, the elevator's hitting the ground, every the, the hospital scenario's collapsing on itself, so everyone's waking up as they should, except for Cobb, who needs to go get Sato because, okay, we've done
0: the job, but how are you going to know I did the job to Get me past TSA, right? So now we cut back to the scene that the movie opened with, which is Cobb with that terrible blister on his cheek, laying in the in the beach sand.
1: Cobb's probably been run, wandering around limbo
0: for years. Do like, you have that sound of this conversation? Uh, yeah, I'm going to play it at the end of the at the end of the episode. That'll that'll wrap us up. But the reason I, I think that this obviously it's important because it's the rescue of Saito, who much like him and Maul, has aged. <laughs> Ken Watanabe mm. looks like he's put on a few years down there in limbo. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, he's been down there for like 80 years.
0: So then the movie changes again. I watched this five times this morning. I finished this this morning. Okay. And I listened carefully to this discussion. And as much as they are playing this tennis match of memory back and forth, as they are helping each other remember what the purpose was before they got lost in limbo, which is just raw, unfiltered subconscious, Mm -hmm. according to Arthur. There's this bond that shows up between the two of them of this brotherhood. Yeah. And I don't want to say bromance because that has a laughable, but it becomes a, dare I say, kind of a buddy moment in this film that initially is a heist movie.
1: Yeah, my impression of Saito and Kobal Corporation or whatever he works for has always been slightly sinister yeah. throughout the entire film like ruthless
0: businessman. Yeah, like we we
1: can trust this guy and he's going to fund our venture but like we kind of can't trust him at the same time because he's kind of out for his own own butt, right? But in this moment I think you see these two guys that have been through hell. Saito's mental hell of I've been down here for like 50 years, growing old and wrinkly eating porridge, (laughs) whatever dude risotto. I would hope that Leo's eating Mm -hmm. just growing old and just forgetting everything. And that the, the the totem, the image is the thing that kind of helps snap him back into, I remember this, some half remembered dream come back. So we can be old men, uh, young men together again, together again. Yeah. Or be an old man filled with
0: regret. And then that's the moment when they wake up on the plane, right? Dom's conversation with Saito mm-hmm. and Dom's conversation with Mal, back-to-back moments for Dom, are without any action. Yeah. Absolutely, and I mean this, beautiful moments of dialogue. Yeah. I'm Truly, I mean beautiful. I give a damn about all of those conversations and every word. It's close. Yeah. It's close mm-hmm. to the picnic scene in The Hustler. Oh. Both yeah, of those. No, I, I, I watched that Saito scene five times this morning. I'm like, damn. Yeah. These two men really give a rip about each other. Mm-hmm. He clearly loves Maul, and he but really that's him loving a busted ass memory of his wife that he helped kill. Yeah. But Saito is not a memory.
1: And he needs it, right?
0: He does need it at the end of the day if he's going to touch down
1: at LAX and go through TSA, if this man doesn't realize what the hell they just spent the last hour and a half doing. Make that phone call. It was all for nothing, right? So I got to do enough convincing on my end to say, hey, do you remember this to convince you to honor our arrangement, I think is the the, the lingo, right? Isn't that beautiful? It's great. No, it's fantastic. It's Yeah, it's the, the the culmination of Inception. And then we get this great final montage sequencing. Again, we'll, we'll do uh, Mount Rushmore here in a second, but... This final montage, and I think the only line of dialogue is spoken by Michael Kane and then by uh, the kids and uh, Dom's kids once, once once, he's in there, is just this realization of, hey, we, looking at Joseph Gordon-Levitt and, and uh, Ariadne and just being like, we did it, we, like, we accomplished it. And when he looks at Ken Watanabe, he's like, did you get it? Are you okay laying there? And then he picks up his phone and is like... Going to make the call. And I love this moment just because like in in Coco, if you remember, uh, Hector, uh, when he goes through Dio de los Muertos TSA at the end, mm. like did we do enough in the course of the film to put his picture back on the ofrenda, right? Yeah. For him to make it pass. Did we do enough? Oh, convi- yeah. Did, it's we good. Do, did we do enough convincing for Saito to, is that going to, is that passport going to get stamped? And I think that's a really powerful moment. It says, welcome back home, Mr. Cobb. And we see all the players and they're almost like fabrications within his own reality, right? He doesn't really acknowledge them. and There's no like real head nods or anything. And it's like, let me get back home and let's see. And the one thing we failed to mention in the podcast, but perfect for this moment is he's seen his kids several times throughout this film. Yeah. And it's always been the backs of their heads off in the distance, playing in the grass or playing in the hotel lobby but we've never seen them. And so how do we know reality's reality? But in this moment when he sees the kids and Michael Caine summons them over and he gets to see them for the first time, he's like, oh, my God, I'm back. And he goes and embraces them, and it's remarkable. And then we get this brilliant Christopher Nolan moment, which was the spinning top that he spun. They're like, this is all too good to be true. I need to know just for certain, am I dreaming or am I sleeping? And I think the line of exposition in the screenplay is, like, the top spins and spins until line break, fade out, right? You
0: decide if
1: if it was. And it's it's toppling,
0: like, just... Yeah, starting to lose some centrifugal force.
1: But enough where you're just like, was it? Maybe? Maybe not? Doesn't matter, because the movie's over. And I just, I love that ambiguity of this film, right? Of... Inception directed by Christopher Nolan. And my point of view is let's give him a win, right? Yeah. He was in reality. He finally got to see his kids, but in the anti version of that is like, no, he's still asleep. He's still on that plane. And oh man, what kind of hell is he in now? Right. I think you could go either route with that, but I, I lean more towards the, the, the more positive catharsis moment. I do too. Uh, but just the fact that it is it is left kind of up in the air is, I think, the power of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan has gone on record saying when he's approached by people on the street or by interviewers or whatever, it's the thing that's most asked of him is, was the top spinning or did it fall over? Over any other question of any of his movies. That's the number one question.
0: And he very coyly doesn't answer. Exactly, yeah.
1: I'm sure he has his own point of view of what that means and stands for, but... How could he give a definitive answer that would that would kill the mystery of that ending, right? Mm-hmm. So of course, of course, he leaves it up to audience interpretation, right? Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on Inception? Things we didn't cover? No, we hit it. All right, I got to go into some pretty cool notes here, and then I got a couple questions for you. So okay. after insomnia after the completion of Insomnia in two thousand two, Nolan presented Warner Brothers with an eighty page treatment for. Dude, a horror film envisioning dream stealers. This film started out as a horror movie, which you know I want him to go down that road based on the concept of lucid dreaming and deciding that he needed more experience tackling larger productions of scale and magnitude. He shelled it, and then he they, they offered him Batman Begins based on his... Dude, yeah, what a, what, what a fallback, right? Yeah. But I think yeah, he, he worked on the screenplay for about 9 or 10 years on the interim, just kind of like peppering the world, crafting it, making it a little bit more believable. It left the horror space, which I'm very interested on. What did that look like? Mm-hmm. Is it a little bit more Nightmare on Elm Streety versus like this? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, let's see here. So, yeah, 9 to 10 years with the screenplay. Pitched it, uh, yeah, I mentioned 2022 – So he said the key to completing the script was wondering what would happen if several people shared the same dream quote, once you remove the privacy, you've you've created an infinite number of alternative alternative universes in which people can meaningfully interact with validity, with weight, with dramatic consequence. Hmm. So the thing with like Leo was like finding those dramatic stakes and core to like make that character really, really interesting. Um, James Franco was in consideration for Arthur. Uh, I can see it. I don't know if it works as well. Dude, I love Jago, right? I love Gordon Gordon, Gordon Levitt. I think he's fantastic in this role, and I think this was a a great piece in his kind of resurgence, right? The the post Don John and Looper that he would find his career in, right? Uh, the cinematographer Wally Pfister gave each location and dream level, a distinctive look to aid the audience's recognition of the location they were in. Good job, Wally, because of the heavy cross cutting, right? Mm -hmm. The mountain fortress appears more sterile and cool. The hotel hallways have more warm hues. The scenes in the van are more neutral, kind of more real world, right? So the film comes out. It's $160 million budget. Dude, are you ready for this total Mm -hmm. spec screenplay idea? $828 $828 million gross Ooh. on a, on an original idea.
0: Amen. Good it, job. We're just not doing that.
1: That's no. not happening. That's a huge... 2010, that's a huge total. Today, that's a huge total. Mm-hmm. And the numbers are still out on Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer is going to come close to that total worldwide, mm. which is a different mind-blowing fact for another day, right? Uh, Nolan's reputation and success with The Dark Knight helped secure the film's extra 100 million dollar in advertising alone wow the fact that you played ball for us and delivered in the way you did with that film we'll we'll go along with this one and we'll back you and i found this quote very fascinating so sue kroll she was the president of warner's worldwide marketing said the company believed it would gain awareness due to the strength of nolan as a brand and said we don't have the brand equity That usually drives a big summer opening, but we have a great cast and a fresh idea from a filmmaker with a track record of making incredible movies. If you can make those elements work, it's a sad day. In the industry, right? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of little other anecdotes uh, in an effort to combat confusion, television broadcasts in Japan include text in the upper left corner of the screen to remind viewers, which level of the dream that they're in. Wow. Dude, <laughs> Crazy, right? Uh, I don't know if I would like that. Uh, and then at the end of the day, it won four Oscars, cinematography, sound editing, sound mixing and visual effects. It was also nominated for picture screenplay, art direction and score. I think screenplay that year, 2010 this is the King's Speech year, which that's a conversation on like why the hell did that movie win?
0: Uh, We've already done that podcast, exactly
1: right. Uh, uh, I think uh, Aaron Sorkin' Social Network screenplay won that year, fantastic screenplay, right? But oh, man, I think Nolan had a little bit more say in in that mm-hmm. conversation, right? Not even nominated for director, unbelievable, and we won't even go into the picture category, which how un. You know, King's Speech is a fine film, right? It's, is it? Is it? It's fine while you watch it, but like it just—it's just—it's one of those movies, right? It's a historical, you know, critic film that, in totality, is there for a purpose, which is to say, hey, we got this good movie based on a historical event, and have be have be it right. When the, we know the Academy's not risky, no, on ideas like this and concepts like this, so it would win in the technical merit categories right but i think it had a play in uh screenplay and picture that year as for well. sure yeah. absolutely uh but yeah that's going to be kind of a wrapper on this what's your favorite
0: tasting note moment scene sequence of inception god there's so many but i told you earlier it's my moment the tasting mo- the, the tasting note is that conversation between he and maul when he finally puts her to bed finally uh it's needed and it's heartfelt and they both deliver it in spades
1: yeah, mine's the rotating hallway. It's just, we talked about it at length, but that's a show stopping moment. Mm-hmm. If favorite Nolan moment in any of his films, it's close. That Trinity test sequence is something special. And I love that convoy chase sequence in the middle of the dark night. Uh, there's a lot of sequences in Dark Knight that I, I truly love. That that opening, but that hal- that that 25 second scene is just everything that I truly love about movies: practicality, planning, well thought out, done in camera, real lighting, real actors doing the real shit. Uh, it was show stopping then, and it, watching it, I watched it again. I watched this film a couple weeks ago, and then I watched it again. Finished it this morning. I'm just sitting there and just on the edge of my seat. I'm just like, I've seen this scene X number of times and I'm just on the edge of my seat, just like watching him traverse this anti-gravity hallway, right? It's awesome. What's the moment of inception?
0: There's not a way in the world when Maul's shoe fell off or she kicked it off that I thought they were going to let her plunge. Jump from the ledge? Yes. And sure enough, she does. We don't see it. Really, we see Dom's reaction. Mm-hmm. That moment, she really did it. Mm-hmm. You come to terms with, no wonder this guy's such a mess. Yeah, I get it now. That's it for me.
1: Think I'm. I got freight train through the cityscape. Uh, I think that was the moment when I just realized it's like anything's possible in this movie. They can pull anything in, take anything out, and it's a dream, right? Mm-hmm. We can do any anything with that. So. I think that that was that was the moment for me of just like wow if that's possible what else could they possibly do with this idea and concept yeah. who's the master distiller on inception
0: i don't even remember who i get did i give it to nolan last week or was it was it murphy i think we both went murphy on that one okay well eventually it's got to be him because mm-hmm. i mean unless i did guy purse for memento i
1: don't i think you did Nolan. i think
0: Hey, it's his cask. He can get it all three weeks. Well, Leo's really good in this, too. He is. So it's one of those two. I'm going to go with Leo. Um, We're honoring Nolan with the whole cast, so he gets the honorary. Okay, yeah, that's
1: that's fair. Okay.
0: Leo kills this role, man. Kills it. This makes me think Mm -hmm. that there's... He's a little old now. This is 13 years ago. There was potential for him to pull off Bond. Really? Yes. Interesting. Yes. I've always been a Leo fan, like...
1: You know, going back to those Titanic days when, you know, that concept is, you know, it is what it is, but he has, like, leading man, like, sure. charisma. And then you couple that with, like, some of his choices, like Inception and The Wolf of Wall Street. And I'm just like, this guy has it. And I'm telling everyone, Don't I love... Let's aviator. Yeah, and The, the Departed, The depotted. I love a good Leo freak out on screen. Like I just love it. That was like the saving grace for me in that uh, that Don't Look Up asteroid movie that they did on Netflix. He has a phenomenal freakout sequence in the middle of mm. that movie. I just love it. I just love how he just loses control and just like lets it all hang out. Uh, Kelvin Candy and uh, Django and Chain, fantastic role mm-hmm. uh, in in that film. But yeah, he's, he's he has an interesting career. He's just interesting outside of. Hollywood, right? Just yeah. as a person, right? Just dating, like just people way under his age bracket. Good for him. <laughs> exactly, and then uh, just the roles he chooses. We'll see him again later in uh, Scorsese's Killers of the Flower and Moon, which is like, I love seeing those two guys together. So mm-hmm. that could be pretty pretty remarkable. Hans Zimmer's uh, pretty close, but I got to give it to one of uh, Wally Pfister, uh, his cinematographer, which was uh, they'll do Dark Knight Rises next, and then. I don't know. I want to know what happened there. I don't know if there was a falling off or if Wally Pfister he wanted to kind of go directing. And then so Nolan hooked up with this other cinematographer, Hoyt Van Hoytema, which his films look stunning now, right? Mm-hmm. Oppenheimer and you know Dunkirk and all of them, yeah. Interstellar. But I think he shoots the hell out of this film. I think this is an Oscar well-earned. If you gotta find a way to light a scene that's rotating and keep the camera still with the lighting consistent, dude. Give that guy all the praise in the world. Love that good choice. And found a way to commercialize IMAX film photography and feature length films. That was mainly used for documentary things. They found a way to put that camera in the middle of action scenes in movies. And for the most part, other than like Tom Cruise and Top Gun and Mission Impossible, some Avengers stuff, a lot of people haven't really made full commitment to that type of format on a large canvas. And Nolan, we saw Oppenheimer. I mean, you can get a really clear, crisp image that looks fantastic because of the resolution when you use that. And Wally Pfister was, you know, key on that. So good. How are you going to rate and grade Inception? We have
0: Rocket, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Tippy Top Shelf. You You spoke to it earlier. It couldn't be anything but Top Shelf. It's one of the top two from the aughts. Uh, Yeah, it's... Um, the best of the best. This is, I I think this is maybe the ninth time I've watched this film. I could go home and watch it again right now, right like after the show, we just cut two hours on it. I could go home and watch it again and I would pick up five things. It is such a fun, interesting think. And if you don't want to think for a minute, then there's plenty of cool action and interesting dialogue that makes you not have to sort of ponder what the, the, possibilities might be on screen. It's immaculately done. Perfect film. It's perfect. It's a perfect movie.
1: Awesome. Top shelf for me too. Uh, I don't think I gave memento top. I think I went single barrel memento. So I kind of screwed up the algorithm. There goes that. Maybe Freakins loan in that conversation. Right. Yeah. But, uh, I have to exercise that choice for you. There you go. But yeah, top shelf for everything you just said, for everything this episode, uh, goes into detail with, Yeah, phenomenal piece of filmmaking. Uh, An original concept, the likes of which I don't think we've seen since this film came out in 2010. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just shows the power of the brand, the guy, Um, you know, just everything we've been discussing for the last three weeks. I mean, it's it's on full display with this film. I think it ages better with each viewing. And I'm with you. You're eight viewings, and I think I'm... I'm 30 40 viewings in on this film and I don't get sick of it I, I just love it I love the world I love the concepts I love the the rulemaking and that hallway scene I'm telling you that's that's an all-timer like I knew then and I knew every time I watched it I'm like that just it plays for me I love it it's great excellent well let's wrap this up with our nightcap.
0: Nightcap was two questions, and I posed them both to you. And you thought, "Well, let's just do them both together because it could easily work." So, you know, we're finishing the Nolan cast. Mm-hmm. It only makes sense. Three films. Give me your top three favorite Nolan movies in order. Okay. And then the second question that kind of hit a little bit later, but include here is, what actor or actress that he hasn't worked with? Do would you like to see him roll with going forward? Loved it. I loved all, every piece of it. Right. So we'll go three, three, two, two, one, one, actor, actor. Yeah. Or actor actress. Actress,
1: actress. Let's do the ranking first and then we'll do the actors. Yeah. Uh with your ranking, did you uh put this film into your ranking? Okay. I did it both ways. I did it with this film and without this film. Okay. Uh I'll do a without this film just to kind of keep it a little different, because yeah. Uh, my number three, uh, yeah, this is a film that still plays really well for me. It's just it's it's big and it's ideas I love and there's three particular moments in this film that nearly break me every time I watch them uh, and it's interstellar. Uh, there's there's three moments in that film that I think are phenomenal and a lot of it's due to Matthew McConaughey just being incredible in that in that film. But Jessica Chastain and Hathaway, that ending is remarkable. Uh, that's one that on initial viewing, I was like, wow, like what the hell's going on here? Like, what are they doing? And I was like, parallel dimensions and black holes. And like each time I go back to that one, I pick up a little bit more. I get a little smarter with that one. And I love the emotionality and the stakes of that particular story. It's 2001 done in a more emotional way. Uh, so that's my
0: that's my number three. Good choice. Mm-hmm. Number three for me, Batman Begins. That's my favorite of his franchise. Uh, story beat wise, that's right up there with Ghostbusters for me. Yeah, And I think that that's a great introduction into <clears throat> a Batman series that was kind of the singular piece of success in DC's reimagining superheroes. Mm-hmm. It's been a lot of mess. We've talked about that ad nauseum. But that movie is is damn near perfect, and it's my favorite of the three. So awesome, I love it. And I'm not even a big Batman. I mean, I like Batman, but not yeah. like you. But I, yeah, great movie. Awesome. That might make my top five superhero films of all time. That that movie.
1: That'd be a good list to do, just like our top ten like favorite superheroes. That it's like totality is just like DC, Marvel, graphic novels, like all that in consideration. That could be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, my number two. This is wild. It's just, it's so new. and It's Oppenheimer is number two. Uh, Viewing one was like a sensory overload of a lot of different feelings and emotions. Viewing two with you was time to sit down, pay attention, let everything kind of happen. And that solidified. I was a maestro at work there. Uh, I won't call it his best, but God damn it. That's a pretty great film uh, in a lot of different ways. I gotta, I gotta go see it one or two more times before at least the theaters. I just, I have to, it's yeah. just, that was such a, it's such a great experience on the big screen. So it seems weird to put a, such a current movie at, at number two, but there's a lot of power in that, in that film in a few different facets.
0: Uh, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Same number twos. Mine also for exact same reasons. I don't know if I'll see it again in the theaters. Cause there's a couple other things out, but mm-hmm. it's going to be owned for sure. Uh, and yeah, Listen to last week, right? Exactly.
1: Excellent. What do you got for number one? This. This. This in consideration,
0: yeah. Yep. Um, We just did two hours on it. It's a perfect film. Mm -hmm. I can't say that. Even some other films that I would give top shelf to have a moment or two. Yeah. There's not a moment or two in this. It's Mm -hmm. perfect. This is a perfectly crafted film. Yeah. Perfect. It's a master at the best of his craft. Yeah. Love it. I love hearing it. Would this be, I know that you didn't, would this be your number one? This is two. This is two for sure.
1: So in my scenario, in Interstellar's, I just wanted to talk about that movie for a second, but it would be Oppenheimer, then this at number Inception number two, and my number one, Clear as Day. Uh, Even in this review, reimagining of watching Nolan's films with Oppenheimer in consideration, it's Dark Knight with the bullet. And I know I have a slight bit of Batman bias associated with that, but... There's so many things at play in that story that works so well for me, not from a sequel perspective or just from a storytelling perspective. And I picked on something in this viewing. I, I think I'm like close to 50 viewings on that film, Matt. Wow. And we'll do it one day. We got to do the whole trilogy because I think that would be amazing together, watching them, recording them, and then maybe a couple guests on, on some of those. Those are big films to tackle, right? Mm-hmm. I noticed something on this viewing of night that I thought was really remarkable, which was, if you can go into your memory banks, that middle sequence, that uh, chase sequence through the streets of Gotham City, uh, there's three independent plans of desperation at play in the middle of that film. And neither character is privy on each other's plan to bring down the Joker which is Harvey Dent coming out as I am the Batman. So now I'm going to put myself in the back of this SWAT car and see what come what may be. Maybe we can catch this guy. On top of that, Commissioner Gordon has, Gary Oldman has faked his death to give himself some time to let me see if I can use that as a method to bring down the Joker. Harvey Dent is n- doesn't know any piece of that, right? And neither does Batman. And then you have Batman on top of that saying, I'm going to bring down this guy by any means necessary. So that middle sequence is three independent plans to bring down one person and they all kind of succeed in their own right. But yet he still has one leg up on them in terms of something that they've all overthought. (sighs) And I've seen that thing 50 times. I saw it six times in the theater and I've seen it so many times since then. And I was like, Look at these guys at the point of desperation of I will take down this guy by any means necessary. I'll lie to my family and tell them I'm dead to bring down this clown. And then they do it and yet they still lose at the end of the day. Ouch. There's a lot of power in that film, and we get into the stuff of like, you know, the kind of left-wing and right wing ideas at play in a very non-political movie, but the questions on surveillance. And how we track information and just mm-hmm. how desperate Batman gets at the end of that film to A, I'm still not going to stoop to as low and kill this man. But B, I will be privy on people's <sighs> security to bring him down and spy on people. It's There's not another superhero movie like it. I can't think of anything that has toyed the lines with gravitating towards a good superhero film and just a great film through crime uh, gangster epics. It's and then you get into the nitty gritty on like all the little intricacies of IMAX and the cinematography and the acting and there's a lot of play there. I, I want to do that film with you so yeah. so bad one of yeah.
0: these days. It's it it would be a really great. It might be a three hour episode. Well, are we going to talk about making that the nine hour long podcast? We'll take a break in oh, between the, for my oh, tea. That's what we talked about. Yeah, like the all day podcasting feed. That could be great. That could Could be be great. That could be great. We might not have to, we might not be able to drink though, honestly, by the time we got to the, Oh, I'm drinking. Oh, we'll be hammered. (laughs)
1: No, no, no. I don't care. Okay. (laughs) That's part of it, right? Yeah. But that's the clear cut. Number one, it's just, there's just something different about watching that on top of everything else. Cause at the end of the day, it's still a Batman movie. It's still this high budget superhero thing with a lot of grander things at play. Sorry, I've gone on at, at length, but, uh, but at the end of the day, like I told you, there ain't, there's not a bad film in that filmography. No, right. Insomnia. Insomnia is the weak link. Me- memento, The Prestige, like the, the all those things that they all play Dunkirk in different ways, in different facets. Mm-hmm. Good, yeah. I ranked them all in my in my head as as uh, just just for fun. Tenant is still at the very bottom, but. I'm still giving that film a benefit of the doubt. The verdict's still out on that one of how I feel about it. You have to
0: fully understand it before you can critique it.
1: And I need to go back a couple more times to just really just study it. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that kind of study.
0: He's worth the study. He's worth the time. Yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah. Other things you're just like, eh, yeah, I'm good. Grand Trist, well, yeah, I might be okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think we're in a pretty good space right now and we're gearing up for one of our favorite times of the year. Uh just because the conversation is always in-depth, it's always psychoanalyst, it's always thematic, it's repression, it's all these crazy themes that come into the fold. Uncanny. The uncanny, the The effects of it all, but we're about to dabble into spooky season, ladies and gentlemen, and what a perfect appetizer for that then with the new release that we've talked about, I think, a few times on the podcast. I think we just got to do it, right? Yeah, let's do it. So Last Voyage of the Demeter uh, came out this week. We're going to cover it next week, and that'll be our little prelude appetizer into the rest of the fall for us. Yeah but i'm excited for that uh i haven't kind of stayed away from reviews uh with that and i just kind of want to go
0: in fresh for that
1: one and let's see if there's a cool idea in there i mean on paper it sounds like a great idea right
0: let's see what happened on the ship on the way to carfax abbey yeah
1: we know what happens everyone dies but like what kind of drama can you drum up on top of that right Mm -hmm. yeah hey i'm game me too excellent well this has been a lot of fun talking about Nolan. We'll do it again. The, the, the epic Batman podcast is definitely in the works. But until then, I got to get going. I'm going to go craft my my totem. Could I craft it out of a Batman figurine or a Predator figurine or one of these Funko Pops in this room? Uh what about that
0: special agent Dale Cooper down there? What do you think of that? I'll tell you exactly. I don't trust that totem, so I'm going to kick your <laughs> chair over, see if you freefall, and we elevate to a higher level. Speaking of which, uh, yeah, exactly. I-, I love that plan.
1: We got to be planning some sort of David Lynchian something at some point, right? Let's go. There's yeah. got to be something. We got to get in the weeds with that guy and all all his eccentricities, right? Oh man, yeah. That would be wild, but uh, we'll never start for content here. we got a lot of great stuff planned here in the coming weeks, but
0: until then, we'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark.
1: Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Inception is property of Warner Brothers pictures, legendary pictures, and sin copy. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Something you want new. But
2: this world is not real. Convince me to honor our our arrangement. To take a leap of faith, yes. Come back. So we can be young men together again. Come back with me. I'm back.